welcome to another episode of How to Waste Your Time, episode three. I'm your host, Holden Hens, with Big Boy D. Rye Equipado. Big Boy. No belt today, but Big Boy pants. Big Boy Double I. Um, I'm really excited for this episode because this is the uh, first edition of, of the Two Mic Podcast. Dual mic. Dual audio into your ears. No yes. more sharing. No more sharing. No more... Um, Smelling each other's coffee breath. No more um, one line of audio for one single mic. We're actually big boys now. We got yeah. two mics. Sub sub name, uh, Selfish Boy Podcast. True. Double the fun. Uh, we got a great one here for you today, guys. Um, tons and locks and loaded of great noodles of information of things that we consumed last month. How was it for you, D-Rad? Did you feel like you kind of had to cram some stuff there at the end? Uh Maybe a little bit. It was more of like uh, like the entire time of wanting to do bigger things and look into bigger things. But then it was just like at the end of the month, I was just like, uh, let me fall back on the kind of smaller, lamer things that I did. Yeah, I understand that. I guess because some people are asking why, why do we wait a month in between? And I kind of have to explain like, hey, so we have time to consume media. Because even my, my sister was like, okay, you guys are doing a podcast. What you need to do is each week every week or, or, or she even said just get one big recording like do one day record four episodes and i'm like mm, it doesn't really work like that yeah i couldn't imagine if, if we were doing one recording watching four movies in pre- preparation for one re- big recording is that yeah i guess i guess we could i don't know it, 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 this way i feel like it just enough time to stagger out and make complete thoughts and consume of like the different medias that makes sense yeah yeah no for sure um definitely at the end i I mean i just finished watching the anime uh that we're going to be talking about today so a little bit of crunch time i yeah i finished what i was reading this morning so yeah but i i think uh as we get going with this in in a solid routine every four weeks i feel like is going to be our sweet spot i think we'll be able to plan things out a little bit better um and other uh kind of cleanup news basically i've been including uh time stamps in the show notes however i've heard complaints that you know i don't want to manually drag it or whatever but if you have the pockets cast app it actually makes hyperlinks so that way you can just click on it and it goes right to it which is nice i don't know if any other podcast um software does that so let me know hit me up if your podcast does that or your your uh provider does that right. and, and then i'll i'll rep it here on the podcast as well so yeah that's that's helpful i think that's what you need if you're going to listen to certain segments download podcast listen to the show on podcast it's honestly it's the best pocket cast yeah pocket cast is honestly the best platform i've out of i've tested like five yeah. or six of them i think i think they have probably the more diverse library too because i feel like you can get some stuff on google play or google podcast and some stuff on apple i think i find most of my stuff through either youtube or pocket cast all right, bro. I'll let you lead it off this month. You got movies. What are you What are you watching on the big screen? Watched a doozy, dude. A, a double doozy. Double doozy. So to open up this movie, it's called The Counselor. Um, came out in 2000, 2013. Whoa. Yeah. So my background with this movie is I definitely watched it when it came out, and in my head, I always had this picture of this movie. Like this was a pretty good movie. I like um, the cast for it. Michael Fassbender, Penelope Cruz, Javier Bardem, uh, 
Brad Pitt's in it too, right? Carmen Diaz. Carmen she, Diaz. Yeah, kind of she has. Career. She yeah, average actress. So she she probably brought the film down in her performances. But yeah, you said Brad Pitt. So it's like when you add up those names together, it's a stacked cast for sure. A stacked cast. How could it fail? Exactly. How could it? So my memories of it were was being a good movie, and then I recently found out that the director's cut is on Amazon Prime, and so I was like, shoot. Let me watch it there. Let me watch it. Let me see if it's as good as it it was. And surely enough, it um, after reading the re- reviews post watching the movie, I definitely made an agreement that it's not the greatest movie of all time. Um, yeah, of all time. <laughs> so basically, it's Michael Fassbender, and he is a lawyer for um, the not so righteous uh, community members, basically criminals. And this is his first break into conducting illegal activities himself. So he's investing basically into cocaine trafficking and he's investing with his two other partners, i.e. Brad Pitt, who he counsels, and Javier Bardem, who he also counsels. Um, And basically the whole movie is about him uh, basically failing at his first illegal activity adventure and what breaks down in his relationships and his in his world and all of their worlds really hmm interesting interesting concept i think it was fun it, it's based it's by the same writer that did no country of old men so they're both books by the same writer oh right 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 yeah so but not directed by the cohen brothers though not directed by the cohen brothers directed by not only then ridley scott Right, Ridley Scott, the legendary alien and Blade Runner sci-fi director who decided to go very earthy and human in like the 90s and just never kind of looked back. Yeah, and I get, I, I would probably say this is a byproduct of that. Yeah. Um, but despite literally having... It, it, it's one of those movies that I feel like has all the pieces basically to be a, at least a B-plus film. At least. Right. But what I ended up getting is tons and tons of dialogue and very few scenes of actual meat. Because this is drafted from a book, I assume that a lot of the dialogue is pulled from that from said book. And in a sense, like there's so much natural di- there's too much natural dialogue between people. Hi, how you doing? How's your girl? Um, very interesting things of like trying to describe each character and each character learning about characters through the characters and learning about who they are and what they do and stuff like that but it ends up just being i'm listening to other people's conversations and i'm not really watching a movie yeah i get that did you feel like uh, are you familiar with the uh, genre of mumblecore Mumblecore, no. Mumblecore movies are actually non-scripted essentially dialogue wise they kind of have a plot but they just let the actors talk and and so it sounds really natural and but at the same time it's very menial and things you don't care about um and it's become very popular in the past 10 years to make your movie like that do you feel like it could be a mumblecore movie and because of that you feel like there's a lot of wasted time yeah definitely that sounds very similar because there's just to be specific um i don't know if you ever seen the gif of Cameron Diaz, she's riding on top of a Lamborghini, like grinding on top of a Lamborghini. And then Javier Bardem kind of sits in his chair and looks up at her crotch. 
Hmm. Never seen that gif before? I, I can't say I have seen that gif before. It's well, from that movie, I imagine. Yeah, it's from that movie. But that situation is Javier Bardem telling that story of uh, Diaz doing that to his car and probably the whole conversation of him describing the whole situation um, takes probably like closer to eight to ten minutes to tell him this story of Cameron Diaz grinding on his car. And at the very end of the conversation, Javier Bardem kicks him with the, I forget I told you that. Hmm. Forget I told you that. He's trying to describe to Fassbender what his girlfriend is, Cameron Diaz, like what kind of person she is and how unpredictable she can be. But then he just goes ahead with, here's this crazy, insane story that we then shot a flashback to and showed the audience of this of said story and then looks fast in the eyes and says ah forget it and then at the end of this you're kind of just like do i forget about it do, am i supposed to forget about he told this crazy story and i just saw a chick grinding on the car like what what do i do with the information now i can see how that's frustrating and then you know it does poke through i think it does have a a pleasant ending it's not pleasant for the characters involved but to me in a, in a film sense it does have a pleasant ending of some really good like emotional scenes from Fassbender and the other cast members if I had to rate it um, I probably wouldn't tell you to watch this on your own but it's a 65 out of 100 okay 65 so there it's, it's above average movie I didn't I, like I it, it was a waste of time yeah, I, I didn't hate myself for watching it, and I didn't think anything was particularly awful. It's just I probably, you know, I didn't have to watch it again. Right. So it, was, it was like okay. It was okay. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend anyone else to watch it. Right. And so that's where we come to the, um, I guess, touching on the last episode. We can't call this the nine no-brainers podcast because sometimes our time isn't wasted well. So sometimes we can kind of advise you to waste your time better by not watching that. Right. Even think, if it wasn't on your radar. Right. I think this is part of part of the podcast is like maybe sometimes we messed up and this isn't a great piece of media. Stay away from it. I think still that's helpful information for right. someone else to hear. Right. And at least maybe you can relate to, to have seen something similar and kind of felt in a similar way. And now you can think to yourself, oh, yeah, mumblecore maybe is a genre I don't like and should avoid. I'd, I'd be interested to see what kind of actors maybe are into mumblecore. And what kind of exercises they get out of it. Right. I actually, I watched one called Drinking Buddies with Jake Johnson and Anna Kendrick. And it's it's really interesting because it's like, oh, here's some couples that know each other. Let's go on a lake trip. And so it's like real natural, like dialogue of them working at different places. It has uh, Olivia Wilde in it. And so it's kind of, it's fun, like in that way. And then I heard his mobile core. I was like, all right, I'll go watch it. So I watched it with Steph and it was pretty mediocre, you know, kind of like what you're describing that, you know. These conversations don't really go anywhere. The plot really doesn't go anywhere, and I kind of think that's the crux of the of the genre. But right. and but, even even for the counselor, like it's preluded so much in the film that like this can fail, this can mess up. So like you're expecting it the whole entire time, yet you sit through two hours and ten minutes, and you know the expected ending. So yeah, the plot doesn't get altered by anyone's, you know intentions or motivations it just the plot drives the movie and the dialogue drives the characters somewhat interesting what'd you watch um I, again this isn't this isn't going to be a no-brainer 
the reason why is because this is for a very particular type of person. So the movie I'm going to be talking about is Christopher Nolan's most recent movie, Tenet, which may or may not be available to wherever you are in the world because um, certain theaters have opened up in certain states and certain yeah. countries. Theatrical places. release only. Right, theatrical release only right now. Um, so I saw it in the Dolby Theater in, at AMC. So like the, the really loud, massive one. Awesome. I would highly recommend that. Right. Or, or IMAX if you can. I remember we went 1917 we were dodging bullets in the back row. Right. The entire theater shakes when the explosion happens. Right. So any kind of big experience you want to see in Dolby if you can. Or IMAX is almost as good. Comparable. Right. So the reason why I say Tenet is not a no-brainer is because it is notoriously confusing. If you read um, reviews or listen to anyone who's talked about it, they'll, they'll explain that they had a tough time following it. And this isn't like a tough time following it like you had a tough time following Inception. Like Inception's like, okay, there's multiple layers of dreams. Maybe things got lost in the... Because the, it's like four layers deep or whatever. So things right. got lost in, in the, in the layers. Chris, Christopher Nolan's other think piece. Right. Well, I mean, really all of his movies have to do with time. He loves time dilation. He loves focusing on how time works. If you've watched Interstellar, you watch Memento. Time alteration. Right. Right. Dunkirk, even it, even though it's not messing with time, it's showing three different things at different time slots of the same day. Yeah. So he loves the way that time works. and Love uh, Memento. Yeah. Memento, classic. Memento is great. And I, I would even say it's, I'd say Tenet is almost as good. It's, it's right up there. With how That's huge. That's it, huge. It, and it's huge because Tenet, it, it changes the way you view things. The whole crux of the movie is that um, time can move forwards and backwards, basically. And nice. so the same the same event can happen one way as it is happening another way. Interesting. Because Memento is all backwards. It's a story told in reverse. Right. It's kind of like a story told in reverse, but time is never really moving backwards per se. Exactly. Whereas in Tenet, it's it's going both He's directions. He's experiencing time differently, correct? I, well, I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything right. for anyone. Okay. I'm going to be very vague about this. But essentially, he learns that there is also a timeline going backwards. So there is a device that makes time go backwards for people that enter through the device. So you're, you're forward moving all the way up until you go into that device. Now you're going backwards through the same timeline. So because of that, you get to see a lot of the movies in two different directions, which is really cool. And that... that Maybe very light spoileries, but for the most part, it's awesome to see the way that Christopher Nolan uses that as to to make a big crescendo at the end. And I think that's where eventually things do get a little confusing because uh, when you're when you're going backwards through time, you have to be on a uh, oxygen is different, so you have to be on some kind of breathalyzer. So it's like anyone who's on a breathalyzer is actually going backwards in time, and so it's like that's kind of like or oxygen tank. Uh, not breathalyzer because you're not they're not testing your oxygen right, alcohol right. levels, but uh, you got to be on some kind of like oxygen mask or something, and so that way you can visually see, which is cool because it does get confusing. But anyone who's like breathing through that, you know they're going through the backwards timeline. But where it gets confusing is if those people decide to turn back around and then, go and then go forward and they go time. forward, then there's multiple people going forward of multiple versions of the same person going forward. And then you can choose to go backwards again, and then that same person. So you see where it gets kind of confusing, right? It gets a little zigzaggy, right? Very zigzaggy. If you if you think of like a, a circle, you know, you keep, you kind of can make the circle a little bit tighter or close the loop a little bit shorter, but you're still having a continuous circle of, of time. And so interesting, it gets confusing in that way, no doubt. It's kind of tough to follow. And so if you don't like think pieces or movies that. Um, are going to challenge you just avoid it entirely but if you want to be challenged if you want to think about time differently and let cinema kind of um change the way that you 
view your movies in general because honestly I looked at time differently the moment I stepped out of that theater I was like oh interesting you know oh, what if of- I go back and watch the movie in reverse <laughs> right right on my uh, iPod Nano like how he intended um, no but I mean it just it just made me think of like what I was doing to get there and the, when I was parking and you know it just it really opened up my mind and I think I it is people will say oh it's a movie you gotta watch twice to enjoy it this is certainly one that I know I will even like it more on the second time because there's more things I'll appreciate that I just missed in the beginning. Yeah, I think I feel that way about Inception is I it took me a few viewings, maybe two or three to where I got past the stage of like figuring out the timeline specifically because like, you know, it's all linked and it's like with the bus crash and like so when you try to like figure it out and you get past all of that thinking stuff, then you could more enjoy the visuals, I feel like. That's how I, I viewed Inception, I guess, on my second or third time. Right. No, I, I can see that. We just watched Inception as kind of prep work for it. And nice. uh, and definitely you can see some of the similarities there. Uh, but Tenet is phenomenal, not just obviously this focus on time. That's probably the most interesting part of the whole movie, but also the acting. I think uh, John David Washington is phenomenal. He was great in Black Klansman. And I would say he might even be better here because he has to play this kind of almost James Bond-esque person. You know, someone who uh, has kind of has this cool, has a swagger, um, but also cares about other people deeply. And that's the thing about James Bond that you never really understand is why does he care about these women? You know, the the Bond babes, he'll do anything to risk his life to save them. Why? Like, he just met them, you know. But he feels that overwhelming sense of duty or um, responsibility for them. And so, similarly, I think that's what Nolan was kind of basing John David's Washington character over, who's named the protagonist. Doesn't even have a name in the whole movie. But the protagonist is someone that is very spy espionage-esque, you know, and really takes on that James Bond persona. And I think Nolan does a great job at writing that character into being someone that is the overseer, is the hero of his own story. And because of that, everyone who inter- like intertwines in that story and who interacts with him, you're like, wow, you know, it's cool to see the way that they interact with this version of a Bond-like spy person, you know? Right. Have you seen a Bond girl? In real life? Like in the movies, in, I think I think you'd have a, a elevated character. Oh, those okay. Women as well. So, so that was like a rhetorical. Like, have you seen one? Okay, I wasn't, I wasn't picking up that drift. <laughs> right. Yes. If I were to say see Halle Berry in real life, I would drop everything and it's the worst Bond movie you could have chosen. I would risk my life for Halle Berry. You're right, bro. You got me. The ice ice car chase, dude. It's the same Bond movie. Oh, is that is that Die Another Day or something? Yeah. Yeah, and the big big laser melt in the ice, it's it's a little too extreme, I think. My taste for a Bond movie, right? But I think this is this is like the best version of like a complex Bond movie, almost. Yeah, like it's it's That's definitely cool. it's well layered, but definitely the villain is very Bondy. You know, he's like, mm, let's see what you are up to next. U- European? Um, I, I think he's Russian. Okay, Eastern European. Nice. Yeah, he's got Eastern European, and he's got, like... Country of all supervillains. Right, right. Anyone who's from there is for sure uh, up to something diabolical. What'd you score it? Um, I scored it an 88, and the reason why that's significant is because that's my favorite number of all time. Uh, It's parallel, and it's just... It's perfect in all ways. I love 88. And the reason why it's significant is because I only give 88s out to movies that really resonate with me. Like, I'd rather give an 87 or an 89. Because 88s, I feel like, okay. they have a special connection. It's like Ratatouille would be an 88? No. It, that's funny. Ratatouille's like 97. 
Um, but 88 is like for movies that are great that resonate with me. Yeah. That aren't masterpieces, but still are very special to me. And I recognize their flaws. I recognize the the female in Tenet is. It was a movie. Of, it was a movie, movie for you. Right. But yeah, definitely a movie for me. I love the costume design. I love so many different things. Robert Pattinson is phenomenal. He just does such a great job in this movie. Like out of his mind. Like he, he plays such an integral character. And the minute you, he gets introduced to the story to the last like frame he's in, he's just captivating. He really does steal the movie. It's yeah. not about him, but he really elevates it to the next level. And so there's just so many little things that I, that were put there for me. And I feel like a lot of people had a tough time with this movie and didn't even like it. And I just feel like, well, nice. it feels a special connection to me because I loved it so much. That's great. That's great about film in general. Robert Pat's on the up and up. Oh, yeah, man. He's he hasn't done anything bad since 2010, like th- that was his decade, bro. 2010 yeah. to 2020, that was his decade. He's just yeah, lighthouse, he's phenomenal. Lighthouse was phenomenal. Uh, Lost City of Z, a lot of really good stuff he's been in. So I asked you what you're watching on the big screen. What about the little screen? What about TV, bro? Little screen has been uh, pretty interesting. Um, little screen is always like the wind down bedtime type stuff. So, um. This month I watched, I just cracked into The Boys Season 2. So I'm about two episodes into Season 2, but I watched Season 1 when that aired. And that's kind of more of what I want to talk about rather than Season 2, which has just released this month as well. Right, new stuff. Right. So it's it's getting into new stuff. But um, the reason I want to talk about The Boys is because it has like a similar uh, zone of Umbrella Academies, which we talked about last time. So another thing of like this superhero genre but bent and turned towards a gorier, darker story. Right. Notably way gorier than like Umbrella Academy. Yeah. Gore definitely um, into the accentuated category of gore. So more blood and more goofy, you know, murders and killings than anything you'd probably see in Umbrella Academy. And this also has a probably a notch up higher in the comedy place. It throws a lot more jokes out. Um, in the runtime and a lot of the characters are perceived as uh, like are basically displayed in a joking form like uh, the main character himself is just a you know regular old guy and in some way or another his life was altered by these soups or you know superheroes right like the Justice League essentially yeah and um, after his life was altered he uh is basically basically tracked bound down by this guy named Billy the Butcher and basically strong arms him and forces him and recruits him into this anti soup basically killing superheroes from that point on. And it's just funny how Billy the Butcher's over the top and your main character he's kind of just like shy and doesn't talk much and doesn't really have a place in like a team of, you know, psychopathic murderers. But I think in the long term this is like it's a funny show, it's a gory show, and it has like uh, a real ease to watch, if that makes sense. Like you turn it on and it's funny and it's kind of gory, goofy, and it's like has a sense of, you know, not too serious of itself, if that makes sense. But, yeah, I watched episode one of season one, and um, a lot of people said I didn't give it a fair chance, sure, but uh, I watched one episode and I just felt like, mm, not for me. I, I felt like it was like, too over the top like uh just i know it's 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 fairly crude and vulgar yeah and i'm not saying that's 
the worst thing in the world but in this case it just felt like just turned me off too much and it wasn't something it wasn't funny to me so i feel like it definitely has a certain audience it's going for and not saying that you're that audience but it, it certainly is more towards people that are sophomoric i don't know for lack of better terms yeah it's not very highbrow comedy no it's not it, it's definitely like you know butt fart poo poo jokes but probably with not the same language maybe a stronger language right um but yeah i could i could definitely understand that that it's not something that you're gonna turn on and you're gonna be like well this is like super amazing i gotta show this to all my friends it's kind of just one of those shows that i feel are entertaining enough to like watch a few episodes and even later in the first season you definitely see some more interesting storylines and sub arcs that kind of go through because I don't know if you consider this a spoiler is that um, the main superheroes I guess that are you know treated as superheroes and in the society basically start distributing out this uh, formula that basically creates superheroes distributing it to terrorist countries with strong terrorist you know movements in them and to basically get them approval into the United States Army as superheroes. So that I feel like that storyline in itself is interesting enough to, you know, kind of move me away from, oh, that was a funny dick joke. Or that was like, you know, they played with, they rode the line of nudity on that joke. It's like that storyline also is what's intriguing about this because I don't really understand, never really, you know, listen to that storyline of a superhero fighting super terrorists. Right. So if you can get past all the, the garbage, then there might be some good stuff underlying is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, definitely, dude. Some some good, some redeeming qualities. No, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. All the characters are great and it's all acted well. I think I landed on about an 80. I think I'd probably uh, go up to an 82 because wow. this, this newer season is definitely looking like it's packing more story and acting and just more overall basics, you know, film TV kind of energy rather than, you know, first few episodes of season one trying to draw you in with all the goofy stuff. I'm glad you like it, bro. I'm glad somebody does. Yeah, dude. Just me out there. Just me watching. Yeah, just you and Abby. I yeah. Yeah, the two of you. You guys, you know, you guys she'll, have she'll fall asleep before the episode ends, but you know. Right. Just give her the recap the next day. Yeah, yeah. It's only, it's only the last like 20 minutes. Right. Yeah, it's only, it's only like half the so. what you watch on the tube on the tube bro so hbo max has a lot of good stuff and i'll probably be talking about some more stuff in the future from that little uh, yeah i definitely want to get into hbo max there's definitely some good stuff on there right there's a lot of good originals and stuff uh just one of them that we got into because it's a different year was uh the hard knocks which is a a look into the nfl training camp and i hadn't realized that it's been going for, I think it was the 15th year this year. So every year they, they kind of focus on a different NFL team and they look at their training camp. Uh, just real short. I didn't realize it's five episodes per season. That's it. For some reason, I figured it was like a bigger... A big season. I don't know. I thought they focused like half the season or something. Um, but anyways, they, just, they go through training camp. You kind of find your uh, underdogs. They try to make storylines about people who have been in and out of the ringer for a while and uh, been knocked around and, and they try to be like well are they going to make the team or are they going to make the cut uh, the reason this year is interesting is because it's the first time they ever focused on two teams previously 
they would do like the Cleveland Browns one season. Next year, they'd do Atlanta Falcons. The idea is it's hard knocks because they're a team that's been down. Like they're not a playoff team. They're a team that did bad the previous season. So their team's trying to build a future for their franchise. Right. Um, And so this year they did two teams, but one location, L.A. So they did the Los Angeles Chargers and Los Angeles Rams. And it was cool to see uh, and learn about a lot of players that I just had kind of been off my my radar entirely. Like uh, the Chargers' Derwin James. He was a safety. He made a pro ball. He's real young. I just didn't know much about him. But like his loss, like he got injured in, in training camp. And I don't know how long he's going to be out for, but him not being there is like the difference between them winning or losing yesterday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Like if, right. if he was there to like stop that big gain in overtime. Right. That's a huge, I mean, that's a huge position. Right. Yeah. Safety's massive, but just, I had no idea how skilled the guy was and just watching his highlights and just these little things and just kind of learning what a class act the guy was and just seeing different things about different teams was really fascinating. Right. Like it really, a safety can really change how the whole entire defense frames their, you know, <laughs> frames their lineup basically, you know, frames their coverage. Right. And so Hard Knocks kind of looks into, the stars, but also obviously people that you just literally have never heard about and uh, tries to make the, an interesting narrative. Sometimes they succeed. Sometimes they fail. Uh, there's this guy named, I think, Clay Johnson. And he's like, uh, his dad is like real close to Brett Favre. And so they do like Zoom calls with Brett Favre. And that's funny. It, yeah, it's really bizarre. And so he, you know, it, everyone knows it's recorded and they're recording the computer screen or whatever. And but Brett Favre will give him like a hard time. He'll be like, yeah, man, you got to get out there and start doing your thing, Clay. Like, you're my favorite player out there. Like, y- you got to make it happen. Does and he have that deep of an accent? Yeah. That Brett Favre talks like this. Favre. Favre. Yeah. And uh, and so that kid was like, oh, you know, you want to you wanna support him. But, like, on the field, he's like, oh, fudge, man. Oh, frick. What the frick? I'm so pissed at myself. Like, it's just I've met people like that who are, like, not only is he, like, really hard on himself, but he's like, hey, man, killer job out there. Like, that was a heck of a tackle. Ooh, good block, man. You got me with that good block. Well, like, yeah, I think if I were on the field, I'd be that kind of guy. Just, like, I, I probably couldn't perform as well physically, but I could definitely uh, talk my way into making myself either feel bad or worse or definitely make some other people feel great. Right. I feel like you would be tough on yourself, but I, they're, they're, you're not going to be like this dude. This dude was just so obnoxious with, like, how much he was, like, hyping other people up. And then when he's like, man, I, I don't even know what the heck I was doing out there. Fudge, man. I, I, I made so many blown assignments, man. And, and so it's like you want to focus on this guy because he has some like NFL history. But then um, at the same time, he's just like overbearing. And so it's like this is not someone that I'm rooting for. And so when he didn't make the, the final team, I was like, eh, happens. Yeah. I mean, talent wise, you know, that's got to be there first besides right. like. And then mentally is all probably another big aspect of it. Right. And so the unfortunate thing about this season was sometimes you didn't know who was on what team, the Chargers or the Rams, because you're like, wait, which team was that guy on? Okay, okay. A couple of times it's like, oh, I wonder how this guy interacts with this certain star. And so it it made things a little confusing as far as logistically. You always knew what coach went to what team. Um, Sean McVay is super interesting. He's the Rams head coach, uh, LA Rams. And it's fun to see him like get really fired up and really excited about this team. And so it's, it's cool to see the inner workings of things you'd otherwise never see. And like when people know they're mic'd up, they'll like, they'll be like, hey, 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 I'm mic'd up. I'm mic'd up. Like, don't say anything to me. I'm mic'd up right now. I you know, know they'll, the, they'll the, like cover the chest like, hey, 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 hey. Right, right. 
and the, or they look at like the hard knocks recorder guys they're like can, can you hear me can you hear me right now you know and so they'll just do yeah. different kind of goofy stuff like that and so it's fun to see these these guys having fun um but at the same time when you cover the wrong people you know that's a big mistake you know it, it's something that's like oh this could have been a good storyline but honestly everyone they, they followed all the underdogs no one made the team it was all training camp which is like training camp is a big part like if you're if you're on the training team roster that's a big part of helping out like the main guys get good looks on the scout team but um if you don't make the final 53 man roster it's like uh that storyline just doesn't didn't really go anywhere so it's like yeah i mean they're happy they're excited because they're undrafted rookies right or they're um their fourth year veteran who never actually been on a team but always been kicked around um and and they're kind of you know excited to do to do the walk but at the same time it's just like it's tough when uh you're like oh man that guy that guy made a play he, he was so good why is he not on the, the final roster and so it's it can be frustrating that way but uh it's narrated by lev schreiber it's been narrated by him for like the past like 15 years and he does a great job he yeah. just has this immaculate voice and like he he really he, he plays a uh, saber and um X-Men Origins, Wolverine, yeah. his best performance of all time, in my opinion. Um, but but it, it's really interesting, well put together. And it's the reason why I like it so much is because it's something I could see myself doing. Like, I would love to be a part of that crew, filming it, yeah. editing it. Like, it's just really well put together. Definitely an interesting look into that side of sports of, you know, training camp and things like that. Right. And I think it's very good. It's, this season was almost great. Uh, I'm putting it at a 78 out of 100. Um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. It just wasn't great because I feel like they didn't really focus on the right people. And I feel like some people were a little boring. I loved Jared Goff, like, talking about playing, like, golf in his backyard, you know, because he's a millionaire. But uh, the production value is all-time high. It's just the storyline stuff that has to be there. And if it's not there, it's unfortunate. And so this season, I just feel like it just it wasn't there enough to be great but otherwise everything else was clicking on all cylinders right i think there'd be um probably other seasons for other teams you could probably focus on and find something you'd like better yeah for sure all right bro world of sports what what are you indulging in sports bro our favorite so uh, do you don't have espn plus do you no five five bones a month five bones yeah but it's just you just get that yeah no i i don't think there's enough there for me you get, you know, you get the full category of the 3030s and, you know, okay. other series, but I don't really watch the other series. Maybe you can you can get some uh soccer games for free maybe. Okay. I get the occasional basketball game. Okay. But um mainly what I wanted ESPN for ESPN Plus for is the Dana White Contender series. And I'll let you know right now, I've never seen a single episode of this, so go ahead. Dude it's so good. So, have you seen have you seen any Ultimate Fighter? Of course, I've seen a lot of the Ultimate Fighter. I've I like that because it's two different um, like known UFC veterans who become coaches of like certain teams, and they got to try to make it exactly. Team. So, and a lot of people have made their way up through that. Yeah, basically, um, as Ultimate Fighter is framed, it's a reality TV show, and they follow the two camps of the veteran coaches and basically just pro fighters that aren't in the UFC yet, and I do feel like it's framed more of a 
reality TV show because you get the big blow ups of Rampage Jackson punching through a door. Right. Do you remember the the Chael Sonnen video? I sent yeah. You? I, I can't. I can't let you get close to me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like two two freaking coaches like beefing over right. like some just, random just BS. You know, smacking and, each other and like everyone has to come and break them up. Yeah, because these are professional fighters. They might kill each other. Literally. Right. So Dana White's Contender Series is a separate license from the UFC. Okay. So. Completely different league, essentially. But the thing is, um, both UFC or Ultimate Fighter and uh, Dana White's Contender Series both have the same payout, basically, is that um, fighters get these really great looks from Dana White himself and end up, you know, competing for every fight, basically, in the Contender Series, they're competing for a UFC contract. So you get this duality of, like, really really super talented fighters and then other people that have just been kind of bounced around in the pro circuit that have never really got to present themselves in front of dana white himself so basically ultimate fighter but it takes all of the reality and all of the um veteran camp you know trainers out of it and it just is a full fight card of really talented or really just okay fighters and previous um, previous episodes were, um, what's it, commentated by uh, Uriah Faber and Snoop Dogg. Interesting. Yeah. So if you do go back, there's some interesting, of, especially with Sean O'Malley and Snoop Dogg's reactions were really fun because they're both like giant potheads. Right. So like you could see them like interacting on a different level than anybody else. But um, one specific uh, come up that I wanted to talk to you about is this guy Impa Kasanganai. Um, yeah, Kanganese name. Come on, yeah, this is like the second time I've made this joke on this podcast, right? Uh, but is just really interesting. He had a fight in the third season of Dana White's Contender Series, and that basically uh, I think that ended in a draw, or maybe it was a split decision in his favor. Mm-hmm. So it just wasn't. Uh, it was a full fight. It went three rounds, and he for whatever reason, Dana White just invited him to the next season. Like, come fight again next season. Um, We'll see what you can do. And Mm -hmm. then he comes back next season, which was, I think, his fight was only a month and a half ago on the Contender Series. Right. So still just a regular pro fighter. Um, Never really just got the same looks that other fighters did. But in a sense... He came to this season of the Contender Series, uh, made a second round TKO in front of Dana White and end up earning his uh, contract. Six days later after that, he gets a prelim fight on fight night uh, against a pro fighter. Right. Someone who already has the UFC contract. Exactly. So now within uh, basically a two-week span, he goes from a pro fighter not really getting the fights that he wants to a ufc fighter debut i think it's just really interesting especially how the climate of like the volume of fights that the ufc is pushing out now during the covid season there's a lot more room for professional fighters and when you're watching the contender series you can literally watch a guy a month ago come on to the contender series earn his contract and then maybe next week he's in you know, a prelim fight, which I think is just, it's super exciting when you want to, you know, follow fighters and you find fighters that you do end up liking for a long time. 
No, I think that's super cool. And I, I like that it's, you know, it's, it's different, but it has um, capability to bring these guys up really quickly. Yeah, like, super that's, quickly. That's exciting. Yeah, super exciting. It's like you do kind of get this, you know, there's some really talented people on the contender series that, you know, beat the crap out of other dudes or like first round knockouts. And it's like the level of fighting is like no one in there is going to try to sway judges opinions. Every fight is they're looking for a finish because they want to finish somebody in front of Dana White. And that like basically guarantees you a UFC contract. If you can knock a guy out at the contender series, you're basically guaranteed a free ride up to the UFC. Right. And that's where, like you said, Sean O'Malley came from, right? Yeah. And who's, I mean, he was very quickly one of the most interesting yeah. uh, fighters in the UFC just because of how obnoxious, loud, fun, brash exactly. he was. And that's where the whole concept of the Sugar Show came from is because he would knock people out and he's this real skinny, tall guy. Exactly. And, and uh, so that's cool. That, you know, people like him may have not had the opportunity if it were not for this show. Yeah, because, you, you know, you get one good, you know, knockout the contender series and then you get big, huge, like, you get the... Dana White and then the other two what's it what's the their position called they co-founders not co-founders but they set the fights basically okay um they're there too as well so when you knock somebody out there they it interestingly perks them up and like okay who do we want to you know pair this guy to next right and in the case of like input Kasong and I he's uh like a striker with some wrestling background but he just wanted to fight like there's the same thing of like a post-fight interview. He's like, I just want to fight. Like, give me somebody I just want to fight. And, you know, gets this other guy that's a UFC guy. Been there for like a year or so. And, you know, just has a, a win and a loss in the UFC. And he's not really like doing anything. But he's the same thing. Like, I just want to fight. I just want to fight. So you get this really great fight out of those two guys. And now Impa takes that W. And now he's like, okay, now he's now he's looking at maybe top 20 middleweights. Right. Instead of just like the bottom of the barrel type of guys that's pretty cool i like that accelerated track yeah definitely i think overall i'd probably give it around an 80 and 85 if you do like fighting and you want to follow more fighters like you probably should be watching the contender series it's really great fights yeah no i'm i would actually really like to watch that it may be worth the five bucks a month but i need further convincing that there's more stuff out there for me but no that sounds really cool that sounds like the better version of the ultimate fighter yeah because there's no, the 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 rampage action punching through your door is great content. True. But when you compare it to like you know maybe six to five person you know fight fight card, like it's a little bit more interesting when every single one of them wants to kill the other person to get into the UFC. Right. No, um, no mercy. No mercy. In the world of sports, what did you partake in? Well, bro. Let's just uh, say sports are back, okay? Full force. I know we talked about the NBA playoffs or whatever and other sports, NHL, but yeah. sports are back. Some teams fell, some teams rose, right, you know what right, I mean? Right, 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 Sports are back because the NFL is back in season. Can I get a woo-woo? Real sports are back, baby. Yes. So um, in this past month, we've experienced a couple weeks of uh, NFL football. Two-week uh, mark. Two-week mark. Um, my team is the Houston Texans. Yours is now the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders. <laughs> Let me try that again. Las Vegas Raiders. Yes, they are indeed. How do you feel about uh, Vegas? Um, the town city we live in. 
I think a lot of people explained it like I was just watching a few interviews and Derek Carr's like, you know, we're debuting here, but you know, the fans not might be in the stadium, but the whole city knows we're playing. I think that's I think that's a fair comparison. Like I I do know that personally a lot of other Oakland fans or now Las Vegas fans like made a home here and now that the Raiders are here, like everyone has a Raiders sticker on the back of their car now. Um, do you feel like it's easier to like the Raiders now uh, or harder? Um, I don't know. You can you can make the argument that like a, a franchise moving to a different city, you might get a couple of, uh, you know, floaters that never really watched a lot of football. Or I mean, we saw it with the Knights, like everyone loves the Knights, but no one exactly watches it like like the NHL, like uh they're, they've watched two seasons of the of the NHL basically because the Knights have been here. Right. Yeah. They're, they're I feel like there's team. some of those Raider fans that are like, oh, now I can watch the end the NFL because I have a team in my hometown. Sure. But I mean, it, it's always going to be easy for me to be a Raiders fan at the end of the day because you bleed that black and silver, dude. Every day, dude. Okay. Well, um, my team is not started up well. Texans are zero and two. However. We we literally played the toughest first two weeks since 1960s. They said because we played the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Baltimore Ravens. So the Chiefs, previous Super Bowl champions, Baltimore Ravens, the second best team in the NFL, probably. Yeah, I will give you the benefit of the doubt that those were not only good matchups but good games as well. You played a good game, right? We kept our head in the game. Um, so it's a little frustrating starting off 0 and 2. Um, but we we won't really talk about that that much because the I mean you can only say we lost so many times but it has been a lot of fun to watch the nfl red zone channel which is a, a guy named chris hansen is that the guy who says take a seat over here like, yeah. hello i'm chris hansen scott hansen there we go there you go so scott hansen um he works for the nfl network and he basically just commentates over um different broadcasts and the reason why they call it the red zone channel is because they just cut to games when they're in the red zone and so it's like you skip all the commercials you're watching every game in a time span on sunday and it's literally the best way to consume football if your team is not playing you have to be watching the red zone channel because it will get you the quickest uh, updates of all the scores you skip all the commercials and um, and scott hansen doesn't talk over everything he'll give it to the actual audio feed, but when it's when you have two games going at the same time because both are about to score at the same time, he'll kind of give some narration, or if there's nothing interesting going on, he'll throw it to someone that's like close to it on the forty yard line. Um, and for reference, the red zone is the twenty yard line to the touchdown. So it's like when you're in crunch time, when you're close to being scored, and uh, the whole premise of the channel is they show every touchdown, no yeah. matter what. You'll see every single touchdown from every game that happens on that Sunday. So it's the premium way to watch football. Yeah, definitely. If you if it's the argument is like if your team's playing, you're probably watching that game. Right. But uh, like red zone, it's literally every every team scoring plays, every offensive they're trying to score. So it's it ends up being the most exciting part of football, condensed into a single channel. Right, and the best moment of that channel is what he calls the witching hour, which is the last like when it's fourth quarter and there's like three or four minutes left. It's like that way for like four or five different games. And so you got the witching hour where like games are within one score, only like one time yeah. out left. And so it's like three or four things. Sometimes you'll have four screens on the like TV at the same time because people might score on that next play. And so you got to see it happening all at the same time. And so you get like 
the kind of the domino effect and you're like whoa and so you get to experience football in the best possible way so if you're a fan of the sport that's absolutely what i'd recommend is watching that channel on sunday when your team's not playing because it's going to give you the best experience overall right and also the framing of like there's you know could possibly be four games going at the same time and you could have an interest in multiple you right know, games at a time no totally like i mean yes the the ravens smashed us but i i, I mean i don't mind watching the ravens they're they're fun <laughs> They're fun to play against, you know, they're fun to watch. The same with the Vikings, you know, there's certain teams that I like watching, even if they're not my team, they're still teams I, I favor right. and hope I to en- do well. I enjoyed watching, you know, someone get smashed, whether it be the Texans or whoever. What are you trying to say, bro? Somebody gets smashed, dude. I want to see I want to see them get smashed. Yeah, I appreciate it, bro. I'm sure it's you, good football. Yeah, great football, dude. I loved it. Um, and while we're here, let's briefly touch on fantasy football. Um, your first year, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been doing fantasy since I was like 16. So I've been doing it for a few years now. Um, I did a money league last year with my wife, uh, at her work, uh, this year, no money league. I'm just in two, two leagues, one with, uh, the min max community, um, who are some gamers. And then with, uh, one where I'm the commissioner of, and that's a 12 man league with, um, all of my Oregon Portland mission return missionaries, just a, a big group of them who I, I know and I kind of want to keep in contact with. So I send out biweekly texts and like say, well, you know, this is where we are on the standings. This person has a good luck week. this week, guys. Hey, uh, don't forget to say your lineups, you know, but I, you know, I try to make it fun and entertaining. Um, but you in your uh, first experience with um, fantasy football is kind of a doozy. Yeah. Also commissioner, by the way. So you yeah you didn't just tell me that no yeah. but i mean I, I i wouldn't say i'm like in control exactly of everything no no um it's basically a family league yes so very my, family yeah my sister my uncle my brother-in-law my dad so just the five of us five teams five team league five team league um interesting uh, enough i think my sister has like 160 points on a bye week which is great that uh, no one got touched by that can we well can we explain that every week there's a team on a bye week because it's an yeah. odd number well yeah it's an odd number so every once a week every every one person's on bye and it's just i mean i don't i wouldn't call this my first experience with uh fantasy football i'd probably call this my 0.5 experience with fantasy football <laughs> it's, you're not wrong bro it, it is not a true fantasy football yeah because experience. every Honestly, everyone's lineup and everyone's roster can sway either way. There's very big people on everyone's roster. And especially now, like, we've had a few, like, big injuries pull a couple people out. So it's really interesting to watch um, how basically much people are scoring and also how little people are scoring. Right, because essentially the way fantasy football works is the better your players that you have on your team uh, do in, in real life, you get points for them. And so you guys have uh, players that you can start, and those players are going to score you, you those points. And then you also have backup players who are on your bench, and, and if they score you points, it doesn't matter. Those points are yeah, they they're gone. essentially don't count. They don't count. But I imagine you guys have so many good players on your bench that your bench is outscoring your starting lineup all the time. Yeah. Constantly, 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 you'll have someone that was, you know, on your roster projected 25 points and then someone on your bench that was projected 10. And obviously, you know, whether you, you know, know the person or not or watch games of them before, like you 
have a certain sway to put the projected 25 points on your roster. A little bit of pressure, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit of pressure. But And then you also, you know, you just look at the matchups and you see how they're, you know, how this team will fend, fend against another team. Right. And, you know, sometimes you end up with like almost 80 points just chilling on your bench, gone into the ether. While, you know, some starters on your roster, you know, just put up like a measly six or eight. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting that way. I don't think many other leagues experience that. Right. So typically, I think the lowest number I would ever say to go in a fancy team like league would be eight. I'd say don't do anything less than eight. So you guys have five. And because of that a lot of the wealth is not being spread around how you'd expect, you know, whereas if you have a 14 team league, which is one of my leagues I'm in. It's stretched really thin. So you don't have any good players on the bench, you know, because it's so many teams. And I think 14 right. is probably too many. And even 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 at like 12 or 14, you're going to have maybe two really bigger guys that are right. on your roster at a time. And that's where you really want to watch, you know, you want to watch all games closely and, you know, watch your, you know, judge your bench really closely and you need to know who's on your bench because those are the guys that are actually going to win you games. You know what I mean? that makes sense like no, that's fair. moving your bench around whereas like me like for the past two weeks i just pulled injuries off my bench and i'm still you know two and oh nice for bro. just like looking at it and like you know oh this guy was injured uh, pull him off and then you know sure enough i have someone that's gonna score me at least plus 10 on my bench because everyone's everyone has a good matchup you're not wrong um I, I'm, I'm giving this season so far i'm gonna give it that solid 90 out of 100 Mostly because the Texans are own too, but I'm just so happy football's back. It's great to watch all of these teams play. Um, it's great to see that they tested everyone after two weeks, and there was only two positive cases of COVID. So yeah. it's like everyone's keeping their head in the game. Really smart stuff. Um, some fans are even at certain stadiums. Like I, Florida's yeah. really lax, so I know the uh, Dolphins had like a bunch of people there. It was almost like every other row they had people there. And so the social distance and whatever, but it's it's crazy to see like I would hear a hear a actually loud crowd because they have fake crowd noises and that yeah for most that, of, for the most of sports most now, sports yeah. have this fake crowd like simulation. I think they take from like Madden or from you know FIFA or whatever the uh, right. atmosphere is. But the worst part of that because most of the time you don't notice it. You're just like whatever. This is part of the game. The players I'm sure are hundred percent are noticing it. One of the players said. Um, the closest thing to this is practice. Right. This is like, this is essentially, because practice is quiet, right? And so it's like, I'm simulating practice with another team. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I think I want to kind of compare it to the opposite of what happened to the NBA. Right. Where as in the NBA, people like, especially when playoffs started in the NBA, people started playing crazy. Right. There's a lot of people that were not very active the previous season that are now scoring like plus 15 points in a game, which is like is pretty good when you're coming off the bench. Like right, 15 totally. points off the bench is pretty good for your team. Caruso. Yeah, especially like guys like that because it's just interesting that there's no one there. There's just a you know big Zoom screen of fans, right? Fake fans, and and they change the CGI logos on the floor when it's a home game, like. To, to see people like come off the bench and score that much and especially other teams that have like basically have not had the same amount of attention previous seasons now have huge amount of attention because they're scoring so well. And I think it was something like scoring went up 30% in the bubble 
Whereas I think the NFL is almost like an opposite effect where there's so many people on the field, but there's no noise. Right. No, so it cold. doesn't doesn't feel like a game. It feels like practice. Right. And the the worst part watching at home is when there's like a bad call or something like that. They'll get like the fake booing. And so it's like even when it's a, any call that goes against your team, like even though like I saw an egregious pass interference and it's like the home, the home crowd would never boo that. They'd be like, oh, OK, yeah, that was pass interference. And then but they have the simulated boos coming in. And I was just like, oh, come on, guys, give it a break. So um, who's the late who's the late game yesterday? Um, New in England the, in the evening. Yeah. Seattle, New England. Yeah. Seattle, New England. There is. um, What's the call where uh, the safety dipped his head? Mm-hmm. and like a low yeah like a low you know whatever he basically he got ejected from the game because of it right and you see him like walking off like curse cursing like you could see him cursing you can't hear it obviously but like it was so weird to like almost hear like really just the most awful booing and it was just so it was so strange to me because i know it's all fake booing and obviously it was a good call to get him out of the game. He dipped his head and hit another guy helmet to helmet. Helmet to helmet, yeah. Contact. Yeah, so it's like whatever he gets out of the game. But it was just like I I know in the stadium it was quiet and you just hear this one guy cursing at the whole ref squad because he just got ejected. But it was just – it was strange. It's so strange. It is bizarre. But um, when teams are functioning well, it's it's at its best. And um, I'm just glad it's back because I was worried we wouldn't get football this year. Yeah. And football, as everyone knows like – American football is the best sport. The best sport. Number one. On our hearts and in the fields. I think I would probably give this season a eighty five. Okay. I can respect that. I don't I'm I mean, I just don't fantasy is kinda of whatever and then right. I'm watching other games and they're kind of whatever. Right. Well, I mean typically it's running in like ninety eight for me, so just so right. you guys know. I I have lowered it from my Number one love of my life. Don't tell my wife. Did you catch any anime this past month? Um, did did catch anime. Um, the anime that I watch is called Apari Ranman, which is a gazuntite, which is uh, <laughs> Japanese for Apare, which is the character's name in full bloom. So I don't know if they're gonna change it to that whenever they do the English dub, but it's Japanese only right now. Subtitles. Um, knowing nothing about it, right? You don't know anything about the anime? No, nothing. Like you said, it came out April of 2020. Right. And they, they, they did three episodes and they took a break for COVID and they just came back. Yeah. No, no knowledge whatsoever. Okay. No knowledge whatsoever. Here's my selling point. Wacky wild races in the 1920s anime. Wacky Wild Races? What kind of race? Did Have you never seen Wacky, Wacky Wild Races? Like the uh, Hanna-Barbera, like um, all the different characters that were like racing around a racetrack every episode. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it has Rocky and Bullwinkle. But it definitely has the like the, the dog that kind of laughs like this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then there's like, wasn't, isn't there episodes with Speed Racer? and like? I think so. Dastardly Dan, I think that's yeah. the, the, the villain. I think, I, yeah, I think I've seen like... It's a super cartoon. Right, right. Super, like a... Mega. What, what's a one, like, old cartoon network? Boomerang? Right. Definitely a boomerang cartoon. Definitely a boomerang cartoon. Hanna-Barbera, for sure. Well, the concept is Apare is a Japanese um, inventor. Like, he's a he's a young lad, but he's really smart. And then um, uh, someone else from his uh, 
the homeland of Japan. Let's say his name is Sosame. I think it's really close to that. Um, he's a Japanese samurai, but samurai are being outdated because it's 1920s, right? It's kind of like a dying art, essentially. And uh, something ends up happening where he ends up on a boat with a pare and they're traveling to the U.S. And he's like, well, what the heck? Like, I don't want to do this. But they don't have the money to go back to the Japan. And so they find out that there's this transcontinental race going from L.A. where they are to New York. And the winner gets like a million, uh, 1.5 million. And in the 1920s, that's, you know, giant. That's buku bucks. Right. And so they're like, all right, well, let's enter this race because that's the only way we're going to make it back to Japan is to get this money so we can um, afford a, a boat ride back right. or build a boat, whatever. So this inventor kid um, is basically going to build this supercar. But this is where things get interesting. More people are coming into L.A. to prepare for the race. And each one of these little people that are part of the race are all different like characters. Some are outlaws. Um, some are... Uh, One's a woman who like it's very controversial for a woman to be a racer, and she's a Chinese immigrant. So they got a lot of like interesting characters participating in this wild race. Um, and the only negative thing I can really say about the characters is that they don't really touch on race relations in the 1920s. Like uh, every once in a while, you get some white people that are like, you know, uh, what are you doing out there? You know, and they'll uh, have some Chinese person racing car. Right. You're a female. You can't drive. You know, there's some like really generic type stuff like that. But one of the racers is black. His name is TJ and he's an outlaw. And so, of course, people are scared of him because he's like one of the most notorious outlaws ever. But people don't touch on that. Like, like that's huge for the 1920s for them to have an outlaw to have a racer. Like people fear him and they don't like they don't treat him like how not that I'm saying I want it to be historically accurate. I mean, this could be a fictional university. It clearly is fictional because he right. he is a little um, stereotyped, unfortunately. He has a big record that plays on like a boombox, essentially, and it's like hip-hop music okay. in, in the 1920s. Kind of like how Samurai Champloo did that. Right. Um, but it, it, it is fictional, I'm sure. But I would like a little bit more. If they're going to lean into the, some of these race relations, like because uh, they have so many different races. They have like Native American... They have like an English guy who came over and we're just going to ignore the fact that they all know how to speak the same language because um, that's what you do with anime. Um, it, but a, a, a more leaning into that would have been nice because it is such a diverse group and cast of people that kind of come together for a common cause of this race and this wanting to win legitimately. Like that's the thing is like people, they don't like it when people are trying to cheat or whatnot. Like winning legitimately is huge. Yeah, maybe just lean a little bit more into the setting of 1920s. Right. Yeah, totally. Because they definitely do like Wild West type stuff. You know, everyone's got the the six shooter repeater, you know, the nice. revolvers and, um, you know, bottles of whiskey and, and different stuff like that. And it, it's all old 1920s type, like f- some of the first cars you've ever seen a little bit high, more high tech. But um, it's just interesting because you have that samurai who's uh, adapting to this Western culture um, but still kind of haunted by his past and, and all the different supplementary characters make it a very interesting and very wholesome show. Um, it's really, it's not, even though there is some violence, it's really not that, that brutal. Um, I, I would have liked even more leaning to that because the samurai ends up killing people and, uh, people aren't like, Oh, you know, it was self-defense or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's, it, Brushed off more than brushed off because a lot of a lot of anime don't do that. They don't put weight in other. They don't put weight in the bad guys' lives. Yeah, like and that's an unfortunate truth of just anime. They kind of want to put all of your 
best people on a pedestal in the show that they're yeah good guys are good guys bad guys are bad guys right um and so that's those are the major downfalls of it but otherwise the art is about as good as you ever want like a anime to look like just general you know certain anime have better styles but if you go real generic anime this is what i want my anime to look like it's really like well made even like some of the 3d type stuff they'll do cgi for like some of the cars some of them will be drawn in 2d but even that looks pretty good so overall it's, it's really fun great story has a lot of heart all the supplementary characters around apare um are really interesting and they help elevate him because he's such an inventor such a thinker someone who doesn't really show a lot of emotion so it's like his journey of basically expressing emotion and, sh- and figuring out what illogical thinking is because all he thinks is logical so if anyone does anything emotional he doesn't quite understand and so kind of his development his growth over the course of 12 episodes it, it's going to be 13 but so far i only watched 12 because the 13 one comes out this week so really good really impressed by it and i think it's i don't know if it's going to become any classic anime by any means but definitely one to watch if you want a concise uh story that's fun definitely heavy-handed anime you know there's some like special attack you know you know there's some i'm i'm the evil guy and goofier stuff right and this is my a lot of power stuff like i kill people because i have power you know so it's a little heavy-handed in that case but uh otherwise it's very fun i would really recommend it Uh, i'm gonna end up giving it a uh 85 out of 100 because i feel like that's a nice great just great certainly some issues but i think it's a no-brainer watch it if you like anime yeah that sounds good i i think new 2020 i think that sounds really good for right because 2020 i mean there's been a couple but i haven't heard many that were loud yeah that you need to watch you know Mm -hmm. it's been a sparse year definitely what about you bro what do you anime you watch um i picked up the jin ro the wolf brigade this is a 1999 film. Okay, so we're counting film as anime. All right, copy. Anime. Animated film. Okay. But I think the main position I have about this movie is that it's the same animation studio and director as Ghost in the Shell movies. Okay. Um, I feel like this is an interesting one because... Uh, I think Ghost in the Shell movies came out in like the same sort of time, 1994 to 1999, as the Ghost in the Shell movies. Yet the Ghost in the Shell movies were the ones that were picked up to uh, be made into live action with Scarlett Johansson, and we all saw how that failed, uh, sort of somewhat miserably. And did you watch that? I watched. I got like an hour into it. And you dropped it. And I dropped it. It was just kind of. Not what I was looking for as far as sci-fi films. Or right. No, Ghost in the Shell is revolutionary as far as like that whole like The original cyberpunk. anime, yeah. Right. right Whereas there. the live action, you know, fell flat and didn't really make its money back in theaters. Whereas this movie specifically is almost no sci-fi and more leans closer to noir, which is one of my favorite like film genres, I guess. But, you know... Isn't, isn't really adapted into an anime form, if that makes more sense. Yeah. So had me super interested in this movie. The setting is um, post-nuclear bomb dropped on Japan. Um, uh, and there's basically a rise in 
a democratic nation and people who basically want a less policed Japan. If that makes sense. There's okay. a lot of there's a lot of like uh, civil unrest and localized terrorism um, from the government and from the people in this in in Japan. And it's just like them, post war, very poor and very industrialized, if I could say that. Okay. So basically, it's like it ends up turning into a really cool action police thriller, and has a great twist in it. And I just didn't understand why um, this wasn't adapted into the live action because you think it would be good in live action. I think it would be great live action. Mm-hmm. Just finding it, you know, decent decent enough actors who can act in a thriller and basically be deceitful on camera is all you really need for this to be to work well and to translate into live action. Whereas you know, Ghost in the Shell, there's so many visual things that they did visually. Um, in that anime that they can't do live action right if that makes sense so this literally just follows um this wolf brigade which is basically a secret organization uh within the government that basically protects other people of the same affiliation if that makes sense yeah there's a lot of people that are basically in the in the government and in the localized police force that end up siding with the terrorists and you know basically assist in bombing cities and all different times of like transporting weapons and stuff like that but they end up working for the police and then the wolf brigade being the opposite of that you know working to keep the police safer and working to continue to destroy the terrorist cells that live within you know underground japan hmm and I think visually it's, it's fairly striking. I've seen screenshots of it and it looks uh, very ap- appealing. You know, yeah. uh, the art style is very, it's hand-drawn. Yeah, know. super hand-drawn. And I mean, if you have an idea of like what Ghost in the Shell looks like, there's a lot of, um, has a very uh, authentic like body shape and body movement. Right, fluid. Yeah, very fluid movements and stuff like that when, when just like drawing humans and like, Everything seems a little bit more weightier and less floaty and less bouncy as right, like other animes. Yeah, super hyper realistic and has sort of the the dialogue and the act, the acting and voice acting to back it up as well. That's cool. And is it you watch uh, Japanese audio or English? yeah, I watch Japanese audio. Okay, with the uh, English subs. Yeah, cool. I watched it on. I guess it, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, super easy watch and. Like I said, it's it's so much more closer to film noir than it is like over the top anime, and it could have worked so easily live action. Yeah, but no, that's, that's a cool uh, premise. Yeah, eighty seven out of a hundred, definitely a highly recommend. I, I I think the the issues lie in that it's a movie and not like a series. Right. You feel like if it would have more time, it could have fleshed yeah. out a little bit better. And even in the 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 manga for this, there's tons of you know, tons of just content there that could have been made into something bigger. But in a sense, I do like this also because it just follows the story of uh, one policeman and one girl. And basically, I don't want to give anything away, but how their story interacts with him being in the police force and basically witnessing uh, a bombing that he could have prevented. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. I want to watch that. Two hours? 90 minutes? Yeah. Two hours? Two hours. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll give that a watch, bro. How about any video games of the month? Uh, yeah, uh, one video game I've been touching and going with uh, throughout the past like two months is a game called The Messenger. Heard about it at all? Nothing. All right, The Messenger, uh, you, are you familiar with the original Ninja Gaiden? Like the one? Oh, dude. P- like the PS1 original? No, no, no. Like the SNES original. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, I know of it. You know of it, okay. Uh, the original Ninja Gaiden for me, I guess, is the PS1. Right, which is a remake of a... I don't. I don't even. I don't understand that series at all. Uh, yeah. Once it gets to the bigger console, it's definitely right. far from a ninja thrown like stealth game. Right. And so Ninja Gaiden for I believe the NES or SNES is like a side-scrolling 2D, just very small sprite-based like uh, ninja jumping, throwing yeah. like stars and right. slashing with your side-scrolling enemy, new enemy, whatever. Right. Um, that game it definitely heavily inspired the Messenger. Um, because it's very similar. You play as a ninja. You're slicing at certain enemies. Enemies don't have health bars. They just you just know how many hits. Eventually, you learn. It's right. Like, okay. So this green turtle looking thing that takes three hits. Um, other ones take one. Uh, projectiles you can slash and just hit hit once. And so it's just running, jumping. Um, and for most of the game, it's like that. You know, it's just you're progressing. Um, with the opening plot being, you are the messenger, the uh, the Western hero, as he's called gave you a scroll that he needs you to deliver to somewhere. And so you're trying to go to that somewhere, but there's lots of different challenges in the, in the meantime. Um, that alone, you know, doesn't sound very interesting because it's just a 2D sky scroller. Um, but the reason why it's so good, and no one told me this, I just kind of picked it up because it looked cool, is because it's actually funny. Like, the writing is really good. And I've heard people say, like, Paper Mario is funny. <laughs> Paper Mario. Is yeah, funny. Paper Mario is like Nintendo funny, you know, like right. as funny as they can make visual gags or something. But like the writing for this is actually really clever because you have a shopkeeper who uh, you buy things from. And so eventually you, you gain a relationship with a shopkeeper and his writing is very funny. And like he'll tell you like not to open up the wardrobe. But if you keep on trying to open up the wardrobe, he's like, are you listening? And it'll just be new prompts. It'll be like, if you keep on trying to open that wardrobe, I'm going to make some unskippable dialogue come up. And he's like, you don't want that, do you? And so you go through all that unskippable dialogue. And then he's like, all right, now the, the dialogue's about to repeat. I'm about to loop now. In three, two, one. And then he restarts at the beginning. And then he's like, wow, I really thought I fooled you. You know, there's more dialogue that comes up. So there's like, the writers took their time. And a lot of games, I want to rush through all the dialogue and all of everything. I just want to get to the action. But it's like whenever you get in boss fights, they have different little phrases. You want to read those phrases, you know, before and after the boss fights. They're they're funny, they're really clever, and the boss fights are the best part, uh, hands down. Because I I hate boss fights. That's why I don't play Dark Souls. That's why I don't play any games. That's why I, I put down Sekiro, because I hate beating my head against the wall, and just losing to a boss over and over again, especially in games that make you start like ten minutes before the boss fight, and you got to get to ten minutes right. Later. Whereas this one is brilliant because it has a save literally right before the boss fight. You know when the boss fight's coming. It shows a save with like two, like a health restore and a uh, ninja star restore. So you have your, your range projectile restore because you are, those are limited. And then you go into the boss fight. So the first time going through the boss fight, you're simply trying to learn the phases, right? You're trying to learn because each boss has like two or three phases. Right. So it's like on the first phase, very, very rudimentary video game stuff. 
Um, but for some reason, it's so satisfying to like learn the phases, go back, keep going and going until you learn, oh, that's something I, I didn't see it that way. Or, okay, that, when he does this, jump over this. And uh, it's like the most satisfying um, version of any 2D side scroller. Like e- even playing stuff like Ori and the Will of the Wisp, like those are like way more advanced and bigger and grandiose and have a little bit more complexity. Whereas this is, you know, it's sprite based. It's literally eight bit, maybe 16 bit. Um, but it's very straightforward and you just learning, learning the pixels, learning the, the jumps and whatnot that on its own is, it's just a great gameplay loop. Um, but the worlds are really great. The music is beautiful. And then about four hours into the game, the game opens up and becomes like a Metroidvania. And, uh, you kind of, there's some things about time and how time works and you have a better relationship with the shopkeeper. And I'm really not going to say anything else because it's, something I think you need to discover on your own. Like you need to find out because it's such a smart game. Like it's really good. Like as far as, again, a 2D side scroller Metrovania goes, it's one of the best of this league. What are you playing it on? Um, I got it on Twitch Prime, which if anyone has Amazon Prime, you can hook your Twitch account to Amazon and you get something called Twitch Prime and you get lots of free stuff. And one of the months, every month has new stuff. One of the months was uh, the messenger was free. So I downloaded it. So I play it through the Twitch client. So like I said, I downloaded it a while ago and just haven't been able to play it and finally started playing it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. Like I'll, it literally, I'll be like, oh, I'm not going to stop playing until I beat this boss. Like, I just don't want to put it down right before that. Cause I know next time I get on, I'm like, oh, I, gotta, I like to cut this kind of starting off fresh and being able to be the next playthrough. I just kind of have discovery rather than, you know, trial and error, which is kind of what the boss fights are. But I, it's very satisfying, like more satisfying than like Cuphead. Cause Cuphead is like, Cuphead can be like super difficult, right? It's it's definitely nowhere near as difficult as Cuphead, and that's why I think it's more rewarding because it's like oh, you f- it makes you feel smart. Whereas like Cuphead makes you feel smart four hours later, right? Know? It'll take you you know days to get past the one boss, and you're like oh, I was doing that wrong the whole time, and now I have to you know keep doing it right for the next three hours, and right. Whereas um, that I would say Cuphead is more of a boss fighting type game where the messenger has leading up to a lot of boss fights has a lot of puzzles and stuff like jumping puzzles and like timing and stuff and like little hidden stuff so it's it's very metroidvania uh in that sense um eventually you'll get a map so you can see the bigger thing but the the music's great visuals are great and it's uh, it's all around just really really solid stuff i mean free with amazon prime that's pretty good right i don't know if it still is unfortunately um but i know the messenger is on switch it is on ps4 It's on, it's on everything, and it's just uh, really good. I think because of that, like, I never would want to go back to Ninja Gaiden. Like, it just, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no point for me because this is just, like, the infinitely better version in every way. Like, I don't have nostalgia for Ninja Gaiden. It's just, like, it was a cool game for its time, and now this is, like, taking that game and making it better in every way. Nice. Yeah, I think I'm going to give that game probably an 89. I feel oh, like pretty- I feel like it's nearly a masterpiece. Uh, um, I think there's only so much you can do with 2D side scroller games, right? Right. Um, and I and I'm I love Metroidvanias, but I I would have loved more, I guess, diversity because it, it is just you're mostly using your slash attack. You're using your your sword swinging for everything. You're like hitting projectiles with it. You're uh, jumping in the air and slicing. So it's, it's mostly just one attack. They're using for everything. So I would have liked a little bit more diversity in the long run. But, 
nearly a masterpiece. Great game. Big I mean, recommend. You, you get what you get with it. And if you have, if you enjoy your time that much, then it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, bro? What have you been playing without me? Um, speaking of Twitch, I've probably been playing the top two Twitch games of the month. True. Being uh, Fall Guys and Among Us. Okay, Fall Guys, I have played. Um, that is the little bean. Um, dress up game. Yeah. Dress up, yeah. Um, Battle Royale. Yeah. Battle Royale meets Wipeout. You know, you're basically traversing the same path as everyone else, and you can fall off and get pushed off. And, you know, there's different things basically hindering you from finishing the the race essentially but in a battle royale format where people can be eliminated going on to the rounds until there's a single winner okay um, and you've been enjoying it like like um, i think it? i think both of these games i wanted to pair together because they're both definitely like mini game in sense like i can hop on and have a few games and maybe get a win or you know a few games and be entertained for 30 minutes to an hour okay and you know enjoying fall guys and enjoying among us but start starting with fall guys like i said visually it's not really anything super exciting you can dress up your character make it unique as you want and the exciting part of the game and playing the game is basically me playing with my girlfriend and you know we're uh sharing the controller essentially in each life and each round and it's just it ends up getting to that exciting like there's you know typically four to five rounds and you're at the finish line and you're getting wins and it's inside exciting in the sense of like i just beat you know 60 other people at this game have you got your w i think i have i mean how many do i have i only have like a handful maybe you've won a few times yeah you won five times nice bro yeah i mean console wise i mean there's some serious numbers out there no no, i know there's some serious numbers but good for you bro as far as like me and my girlfriend like handing it back and forth and playing like some of the games like it's it's it, it's it's the top of the mountain it's it's the right, top so, of the mountain. so now what are some of the best like courses you can go yeah, on the, definitely the best courses like if you getting it's all dependent on how many people are in your lobby how long your basically game set can go to so you could have six games the top games for me is definitely uh like seesaw is super fun when you seesaw is obnoxious but you sure seesaw is fun to me i guess like when you have a good uh opening position seesaw can be super fun because i can just you know when you're when you're in the head of that seesaw like game like the top five people you rip through seesaw so fast and that that's entertaining to me um i think hexagon is my favorite hexagon for the final yeah hexagon is is great just so much like tension yeah, definitely some tension, and but like I think why I don't like hexagon is like so much technique. Plus, like if someone's like three levels down, they can really destroy it for you. Right. So hexagon is a um, basically imagine smaller hexagon platforms, and if you stand on them for longer than like a second, they disappear. Just stepping on them, they disappear. And so if you are the last man standing on that, um, then you win. But the catch is there's like several layers of them. And yeah. So, so you're, you're constantly falling through the layers as you degrade them while you're stepping on them basically right so like what i've seen people do is like they'll you know they'll mess up themselves drop two or three levels and then decide they want to ruin it forever yeah they want to now remove maybe they have a teammate that's higher up than them or whatever they'll try to remove as many tiles as possible rather than trying to stay up as long as possible so mixing like 
really precise technique of you like jumping and like taking as much time on each tile as you possibly can. There's also people like, or even can be on the same tile as you or same level as you removing tiles in front of you. And then you like, obviously you have nowhere to go, but down. So maybe hexagon, I think it's good if you win it. Like it's really exciting. If you win hexagon, it's kind of harder to win hexagon rather than the other, the other games, but yeah, hexagon's good. Um, Any team game, Team games suck. Right? Are pretty bad. Yeah. Team, team games are pretty so, bad. So they, I think they said that they're going to remove the team games eventually. Or at least balance some of their, there's there's more balanced team games. So they, what they do is they split um, this lobby of, let's say like 50 people into three different teams. And so it'll be red, blue, and yellow. Um, but except there's like this hidden meme culture that um, go after yellow. So it's like only, only the losing team loses. So it's like you'll have two teams ganging up against the losing team essentially. Sometimes right. it, that happens. Other times... Um, like I said, you don't have to win. You just have to not lose. And so right. it's so like certain games where you have to like push a ball. I don't know what that one's called, but I'll run to the to the very end, and then I, I won't help my team win by pushing the ball. But I'll sabotage Hinder other teams. Right. I'll sabotage like the blue team, and I'll push their ball further away. So even though we don't get first place, we're definitely not getting last place because you messed them up right, so I, bad. I screwed them up so bad. So that's that is um the chaotic nature of the of the yeah. game you know it's very akin to did you ever play overcook yeah so overcooked is like a, a cooking game where the controls are very finicky like that and, and so because that it's easily get frustrated and overcooked but that's a cooperative experience however in this it's like every man for himself so it's yeah, like it's a battle reaction but you know it's so easy to just like trip and fall and fall off and then ruin your whole run or right. something like and that. it's so frustrating or and that's even just get on a team where people aren't participating as well as right. they could be and it's just like oh well now i can't play anymore right and that's the frustrating nature of it is exactly what keeps me away from it i've like i've played a handful i never got a w i was so close i thought i was jumping and grabbing the crown uh but i guess someone was on the other side of the crown that i couldn't see and they right. got it but like a half a second before me the, so the, the fall mountain is where you know boys turn to men you right. know what i mean a little frustrating but um i'm glad you enjoying it bro what yeah. uh, what um what rating would you give it um, probably around eighty, maybe. Okay, that's yeah, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this is like a game you have to buy. Everyone is playing this game right now because there's not much else to play. Right, I it's free on PlayStation to. Plus too. Yeah, free on PlayStation Plus, so everyone ends up playing it. But I can't see this like going into the future. Like this is a game you need to have on your PlayStation Four. Right. And then the other game I was playing is Among Us, which is another just super popular Twitch game basically to play with your friends. And this is free on iOS, so it's super easy to get into as well. So you're playing on your phone? Playing on my phone. Interesting. And it's like a it's a social deduction game essentially. Exactly. A social deduction game. Um, similar to Terrorist Hunt, if you ever played that Gary's Mod game, you there's up there's lobbies can be up to ten and you could have three imposters in one lobby, one to three. So as as playing as an imposter, you're trying to kill as many crewmates, which is the other basically class. Um, you're trying to kill as many crewmates until there's more imposters than crewmates. And then the crewmates goal is to uh, exile all the imposters or get a task victory. There's a little task around your little spaceship that you're on that basically remove the ability for the imposters to get the win. So on Jackbox Party Pack 6, there's a game called Push the Button, and it's extremely similar where you're on a ship, and um, depending on how many people you have, but two or three of them are going to be aliens, and they don't look like them. 
but the way that you figure out who they are is by doing series of tests with certain people. And so like the alien will get a different prompt than the other people. So if you go to the drawing room, uh, the alien might get um, draw a uh, rat getting struck by lightning. And then the other two people might get draw Pikachu. Or uh, if you go to a room where it's like, uh, how favorable is this for you? And so you, you'd say very favorable, not favorable, you know, indifferent. And so um, the real people might get um, like chocolate and then you might get, uh, you know, dirt until so you're going to say not favorable. And then it turns out they're like, hey, right. why, why did you say not favorable? And you kind of have to defend yourself. Like, exactly. Uh, I'm just not big into chocolate. You know, I just, uh, um, I, I mean, what are we talking about? Like milk chocolate? We're we talking chocolate and peanut butter? Like what, what kind of chocolate are we talking about? And so you kind of get have to get defensive a little bit and then it makes yeah. things kind of suspicious. Yeah, that's the other part of this game is that if, I do recommend if you're playing on iOS, also play with like a bigger size lobby and also have Discord because this game pairs with Discord in the sense that when you're a crewmate and you're running around doing your task, Discord is muted. And same, same as an imposter, imposters don't have tasks to do but they have to kill people. And, you know, when you're on the ship doing these tasks and running around with these killers, there's no there's no Discord audio. But if a crewmate or someone finds a body or calls an emergency meeting, say they saw someone do something suspicious, then the Discord audio picks back up and you're in a lobby just like fighting and depend, uh, defending each other or defending yourself or, you know, explaining who was where and what actions happened and where was the body I think that's probably the more entertaining part of this game is playing that like social deduction. Whereas, you know, you have a whole lobby of you trying to vote someone out and then complete silence where it's like, I have to do my task. Oh, is that person trying to kill me? Like what's going on basically? Yeah, bro. Thanks for the invite. Oh, you're welcome, dude. We could play, we could play, play duos. Yeah, dude. I think that'd be, I mean, that sounds kind of fun. It's, it's definitely a fun little mobile game to like, if you have a nice lobby, there's 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 a like find a game feature, but it's kind of hard. Like you're not going to be in a discord with those people. You're going to be in like a type lobby. Right. So anytime like someone finds a body or like if say like, I had a game where I was like, I found the body. I watched someone kill some like I full on watched someone kill someone else. But I can't exactly like go into a, a typing screen of like what I, I, I just said all caps like, oh, it was black. They right. killed a person in front of me. And then Black was like, basically typed back like, oh, where, where was the body? Like just playing dumb, you know what I mean? And I couldn't convince anyone over type. But whereas like when you're in a Discord lobby with someone, it's like, it was this person. I saw them do this at this time. You know, you could have real conversations. Yeah. No, that, no, that sounds compelling, bro. Definitely a fun thing to play just here and there. What would you give among this? Probably Among Us, you get another 80 score. 80. Flat 8 O. A great O. A great O. Super entertaining. Kick around with your friends on Discord. Um, break some friendships. Make some friendships. I mean, that's what you. That's what everyone wants in a game. In yeah. a multiplayer experience. Yeah. It's social deduction. So you end up having like a lot of like... Ends up being a little bit more interesting. Speaking of uh, breaking friendships... Um, <laughs> Recently, we played a game called Camel Up, which is a board game. What did you? Uh, what was your experience with that? Um, I think I really enjoyed Camel Up. Honestly, I think I could definitely play like more rounds of it. That's a good thing to say about a board game, right? Um, but essentially, it's a gambling game, and you have X amount of camels that you know are all trying to get to the finish line, 
and you amongst your friends are trying to bet on which camel will be first at the end and during each round. Right. I think gambling into a board game is definitely like something interesting and would excite me. Um, speaking of, I lost terribly when we played. Quite you, terribly. You took a lot of risks. Took a lot of risk, but uh, in my defense, I think I had the most fun making maybe the more higher payout bets. Right. You needed two taking, or three. Taking more riskier bets. Right. The, the, the game works off dice rolls, and the dice rolls are random from like a, a essentially a, 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 pyramid, dice roll or... a pyramid dice tower. Yeah. And so um, only a certain number of dice are going to come out. There's, there's five out of six dice are going to roll, so it's like... Ooh, I need this dice to fall, and then this one to fall, and then and then I'm getting paid out big. Right. So you were you're making a lot of those double triple uh, dice yeah. payout plays, but right. Uh, Essentially, I had like basically somewhat of an underdog, and their dice was still in the tower, hadn't been rolled yet. So I was like, I needed one number off the dice, and also the specific dice to fall. So right. biggest dopamine payout, least amount of actual winning in the game right um whereas i went with very safe you know safer bets and safer bets this person's in in first place or this one looks here and uh so i, I ended up winning our, our game um mostly because it, it just right right timing of things um, right i was sitting right next to abby uh, your girlfriend who was rolling a lot and so whenever you roll that's how you get information because you don't have to roll on your turn um, and you, you other, like you can take bets. Anyone can choose a turn. Yeah, choose what if they want to roll or take a bet. Right. And so sitting right next to the roller or the person who rolls most frequently, right, gives you the best. You get the you get first dibs on the information. Right. So because rolling is information because that that shows you rolling is where the camels move right. to. And each camel can only be moved once per per round. So if someone rolls that camel, depending on where its position lies, you know that it's not going to be at least adjusted too too much right. after the after the dice is already rolled so puts you in the position of okay now i can bet on this one whose dice is still here or is super far ahead post roll right so certain things become impossible and so you can automatically rule them out like oh this color of camel is not going to first place and so sitting next to the roller gave me a lot of information right. let me take some of the best bets uh, before people other people had the chance to in, in a clockwise circle Right, and, and I, I, think I like, was I was pre-roller. Right, you were so I'm right like before. I'm betting on the rolls themselves, which is, eh, could be, is risky. Right, right. But I think with sequential plays, you get more strategy. I've played that game maybe six or seven times now, just because it's such an easy pickup play, fun. It's just a no-brainer. Right, great board game. What do, what do you give it rating, bro? Uh, probably like an eighty-five. I want to play it again. I want to play it more, just to like. I would just want to win more risky bets, yeah. basically. I like betting risky. And I like either betting pre-roll or betting on my own roll, which is makes it just more fun for me, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you liked it, bro. Definitely. What'd you play? Um, I picked up a game called Kern. 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 Uh, do you know like the... Kernel? Kern. Uh, do you know the uh, when you stack a bunch of rocks? Kern. Stack rocks like yeah. when you're when you're on a hike and when there's a bunch hike, of flat rocks. Yeah, okay. I think they're called cairns. Cairn, C A I R N. I believe that's the. I usually just hey, look at those rocks. Look at that stack of rocks. Somebody 
was 30 minutes into the hike and got tired started stacking rocks uh, rock jenga yeah but the, the rock jenga is called kern um essentially what it is is not a rock stacking game it's a uh, two-player um the video that i watched it was from shut up and sit down he described it as tactical rugby chess um reason why it's we'll break down each one uh you play it on i think a five by five grid so chess because it's grid like um tactical because you got to think about what moves you're going to make because you can either choose to move a piece you know it's, it's abstract strategy so you can choose to move your piece or you can choose to try to um summon a new piece uh bring out an, another one um so that's why it's the tactical and then rugby is because in, in the game of rugby, in order to score, you have to cross the line. So in this game, similarly, you have to go from your side of the board to your opponent's side of the board and cross. Um, and the way you score points is by um, summoning uh, what are called monoliths, which are these little tiles. And these tiles are just, they just plop right on top of the normal square of the board. And when you step on them, they do something special. Each one has a different effect. And so it's like one is like anyone who steps on this immediately gets banished or anyone who steps on this uh, can get transported to another monolith. Or if you step on this one it immediately eliminate someone from your opponent's first line. And so there's a lot of different special effects on those. Um, and the way you summon the monoliths is by, like I said, crossing the enemy line or by banishing your opponent's uh, piece. And if they're, if your opponent's piece is on a monolith already, you can't summon a new one. You, they don't, they don't stack like the, the rock. Uh, Jenga um, so it has to be an empty open space and so that way it becomes tricky first person to three points wins so it can be really quick or you can kind of play mind games with each other and, and, and like you know keep throwing pieces back and forth right right and I, I like it because I'm always looking for new abstract strategy looking for uh, uh, things to kind of put my mind on but the little pieces are like little druids so um, Kern yeah Kern so it's uh, one one's like a One's like a water people gnome looking little like fat guys. And the other ones are like more like wooden like tree people. So you have two different types of like one's like a brown colored tree people and one's like this blue like water um, gnomes. And so it's like it's just a kind of a cool premise tile flipping, you know. Rugby chess sounds cool. Rugby chess. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very cool. It has that druid feel to it. It's very mythical. Uh, and I definitely recommend it for anyone who's, again, looking for another two-player game. Two-player uh, is nice. Yeah, two-player is nice. I, in episode one, I talked about Onitama, which is abstract strategy. And we played that. And, and chess-like as well. Yes, very chess-like. Uh, and this definitely scratches a separate itch. It, they, they both can exist. That's the cool thing about that abstract strategy um, genre is that there's so many different things that you can do in moving pieces on a grid. And I, I just like grids. I'm a I'm big, big grid fan. Would you score it? Um, I think I would give Kern, Kern, probably that sacred 88 out of a hundred because sacred, bro. right. Because it resonates with me on that. I love chess. That's, that's a really cool th- like element, but I also like, um, the best part about chess is doing pieces that you didn't see at first and your opponent never saw. So it's like when you think a little bit deeper about it, you see the board in a different way. You know, you can see how you can hop over your pieces. Like there's a certain move that lets you do that. 
And so it's like seeing the board in a different dimension. And that game has a lot of that kind of moments. And those are like the most satisfying gameplay moments for me. So it gets that 88, great presentation, great design. Um, it's not a very deep game. That's why it's not going to get a masterpiece rating of like 90 and above. But I feel like it was uh, smart, smartly made, good design, good um, theme made for me, bro. Nice, dude. Sounds, sounds good. Yeah, I think you'll like it, dude. Did you read anything over the month? Um, I struggled uh, to read um, a comic book that I bought from uh, TKO Publishing. It's called Sarah. I may talk about it in the future. I may not. It's just incredibly dull. So I'm not even going to talk about it because I, I literally got maybe 20 pages into it and I fell asleep while reading it. But what I am going to talk to you about is the volume one of Miss Marvel. Uh, the reason why I picked this up is because I was incredibly unfamiliar with the Miss Marvel story um, and her origins. And she is basically the titular character of the Avengers video game that we talked about buying eventually whenever it probably goes on sale. It actually got some pretty good reviews as far as the campaign, the solo campaign goes. Whereas the multiplayer stuff, which we were more interested in, was so-so. Right. But she is the main character of that um, story. And I think it follows some of this origins, I'm sure. But I was extremely unfamiliar. I don't know why she, her name was Miss Marvel. Like, I don't know why they didn't create something more creative. And so I got both volume one and volume two, only read volume one. But it was interesting to see, uh, I, I kind of understood the the purpose behind her character is that she's Pakistani and she's Muslim. And those are two like really small demographics in comics. Like those, those don't, and she's female. So those three intertwining in one place just hasn't happened yet. And so the fact that she got so much traction against all odds is huge. But her character is extremely likable. And the way that they relate that uh, like Pakistani family to anyone who's reading it is really cool. Because I thought there would be some kind of, for lack of better words, alienation for me not being Pakistani that I wouldn't be able to relate to it because it's very, it's very heavy. It's very like into that culture that I just don't understand and I just would never be able to grasp. But they really do simplify it in a way that's keeps its culture, but also embraces the American culture because there's two worlds kind of clashing in that family household and uh, her being a young student, she's 16 in high school. And so her having friends who are also Muslim and uh, kind of balancing that school and religious life and where she fits into it. Um, And so that's just the real basic premise of it all. And then her eventually getting powers and kind of discovering what are the limitations of her powers? um, What should she do with them? It's a little bit like Peter Parker, you know, having to hide the parents, the powers from the parents and Aunt May figuring it out as it goes along or when should I tell her or, you know, should I tell her? Is it better to keep her safe and not know? Um, it's definitely not nearly as good as Peter Parker's origin ever will be um, because I feel like that's the OG for that, you know, young um, teenage, teenage, superhero. teenage superhero. Totally. But definitely um, it takes a place of the reason why she goes by Miss Marvel is because that's who she envisioned as kind of the protector, the, the savior of these people. And one of her powers is a lot of people compare her to, um, I guess, Mr. Fantastic, because she has stretchy arms, right? right? But she's a lot more than Mr. Fantastic. She can actually um, shift her entire body. So she can like transform into someone else. So when she was doing this, like kind of going through this research of power, she turned herself to look like Captain Marvel and save someone under that that premise but she prefers like the old miss marvel who before captain marvel had like the high heel boots and like the long blonde hair and i think that's kind of like a little bit of her own insecurities that you know this brown 
girl who's Muslim doesn't look like a superhero. You know, you, you know, people idolize these beautiful white women with you know big boots. You know, those are kind of what you see when you think of female superhero. And so she, even herself, she felt insecure just being herself and saving someone. So she had to appear as uh, Miss Marvel, essentially. Yeah, that's super interesting. I never knew that. Right. And um, and so her kind of coming unto herself is a little bit what goes on at the end of volume one and her kind of having to, to save just real small scale, save one of her friends and just trying to figure out where she fits into this, this bigger uh, picture. And I think eventually she teams up with the Inhumans or something like that, I think in volume two. Um, but just that kind of interpersonal look into this unique hero's life. And the, I didn't even know she could get really small. She has like the ability to be like kind of like Ant-Man. She can get really small or really large. Uh, Cause I know she can like embiggen her hands and stuff and her fists. And that's right. kind of what you, you see in like um, the video game, but it's cool to see it on a, uh, in the comics and the comics are just really well written and really uh again relatable and uh definitely if you want to learn more about miss marvel her i believe it's the 2012 run um uh, volume one is is really really solid i'm sure you can pick up a if you're questioning it you can probably pick up a um omnibus of of that entire run and it's it's very well done and it's, it's fun to learn about this hero who's literally the hero of the decade marvel's superhero of the decade is miss marvel that's cool kamala khan has blew up in the 2010s and going forward they're going to go with run with her in a big way that's awesome just definitely get a footing because i I never knew any of that i think my first experience with it with a character like that would be simon baz i think is his name is he's a green lantern who is right middle eastern and then i think most of my experience with like i guess um civil civil type of storylines would be green lanterns because of john stewart being african-american too and then like that's just like where it connected with me i guess is mostly green lanterns but hearing that that marvel side of it has another character that that they're gonna run with that sounds really interesting yeah i think you like it nice would you rate it um, so I'm giving it a, a almost great point out. I'm getting a 79. Um, the art style is a little jarring. It's not like bad by any means, but it's very line heavy, um, like very sketchy looking. So it's like sketch with like digital, um, coloring coloration. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's like, okay, visually. And, um, I would have liked it if they got to the p- pace a little bit quicker. Cause I think the first volume only has five issues in it. And it feels like, oh, right around issue five, you're kind of figuring out what gotcha. she, who she is, where it's like, it's a little bit slow to get started. And some of the, the teenage characters are super tropey, like your typical jock and right. Yeah, typical jock and cheerleader. Exactly. And those are the two people that she has to save, essentially. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of eye rolly with Teena- some, teenage origin story. Makes, right. Right. Know, there's but, not a lot of dif- differentiating. Right, but she's the most interesting part of it all. Kamala Khan's really cool, and it's kind of interesting to f- figure out more of her, her character and her personality through other characters. Like she's not like, I'm a nerd, so let me just calculate this. You know, it's other. It's how other people talk about her, which is interesting and good. But yeah, seventy nine out of hundred. Nice dude. What about you, bro? What comics have you been reading? Um, picked up another ID, which is or not ID Image. Image, Image comics, comic, great, which is the great same line. as yeah Savage Town, which we had featured last week, right, or last month rather. 
Uh, this is Descender. So um, I went to my local comic shop to get this one, Alternative Comics, but it's also on uh, any other site. I think it's on Apple for 10 bucks, which is what I got this for. Right. I'm sure you could order from Amazon too. Right. That's where and, I got Miss Marvel. Yeah. I think that was the first thing that drew me. It was like a first issue for 10 bucks is really easy to get into. Really easy to drop 10 on. And then secondly, picking up and looking at it, it's, you know, hand drawn and watercolored, which is one of my favorite mediums for comics. It looks super best. sick. And, you know, when, when it's well and detailed and colorful and drawn like that it, it always catches my eye secondly this is a sci-fi story and you know sci-fi another favorite genre of mine which i don't get to experience a lot of in comics as far as you know only reading about superheroes and things like that sci-fi is a nice turn and even the the guy i grabbed the comic from he he Praise it as like a really good sci-fi story. Right, it's written by Jeff Lemire, right? Yeah, who's a legendary writer. Right, definitely in just the comic space, but also past that, um, it's you're basically following the society or um, a companion robot, basically, where it's post like ten years after this big galactic society of nine planets was basically reduced to reduced its population by like 80% or something like that by giant, massive, goliath-sized robots. Um, So this little companion robot basically built as a companion to a human child. Um, He wakes up alone on this uh, mining, you know, mining planet basically and not knowing what happened and seeing all these dead humans around him um, plugs into the memory network and he sees that all of these Goliath robots basically destroyed most of the human population. And hmm. what ends up uh, you figuring out is that there's a connection between this child, um, this child's basically codex and these Goliath's codex, what, what research that the humans did. So post after, you know, so many humans being destroyed, they basically killed off and destroyed most of the robotics so him being one of the last uh connections between robotics and these goliath machines that destroyed most of humanity makes him like the center of the universe basically for the goliath council and then different like scrappers and other people that want to basically capture this technology and see how um his base codex affects the base codex of these giant goliath machines that sounds really interesting. Yeah, and then also off like super interesting sci-fi story that I haven't really like heard any duplicates of or seems interesting enough and like super great art style and there's six issues out right now and it seems like it goes in a really cool direction. That's cool, and, bro. Like as far as writing like you said, super crazy good writer and you know, every 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 character seems interesting for a sci-fi, which is is it's kind of hard to make a sci-fi story without like repeating character archetypes but there's some definitely interesting things about this this book in particular so is that volume one the, or not it's issue one six issues out okay so that that graphic novel is issue one issue one of like six huh interesting 
and yeah. it's it's thick, so it's probably like a yeah hundred thirty pages, probably yeah something around there, and it like there's you know, six more of it, and it they're all the same art style, and it just looks super super cool for a science fiction like, and some of the full page panels are like legit like can be on a wall right. or you know like a desktop background and would fit so well. That's cool. Now that sounds like a good good find, bro. Just flipping through the shelves, you found it. Yeah, the at alternative comics they for some reason they have image comics like spread out across a wall whereas like you know Marvel and DC and Dark Horse are kind of like in corners right. so like I always tend to gravitate to, towards the wall with all the image comics and I flip through there longer and sure enough like their their artists that are at least are on image comics really catch me every single time right on bro what uh rating you give it uh I'd go ahead and drop it the uh, hard 87 hard 87 I like yeah. it bro Definitely got to give you something to read for the the roundup. Yeah, bro. Uh, for sure. How about some podcasts? You've been listening to any podcasts in the past month? Um, so podcasts is tough because I feel like I, I've been kind of trying to branch out to read more podcasts. Same, same. Uh, listen to more podcasts um, and just find stuff outside my comfort zone. So in that realm, yeah, we're going to find some that are uh, we really like and some we don't like as much. Uh, this is one that I like. Um, it's called Hey Riddle Riddle. Um, it's a podcast with two guys and one girl, and their the premise is I think it's kind of like a riddle podcast. They read riddles to each other, and um, essentially they go answer them. You know, so that that's a real basic form. But on top of that, they also do improv scenes. So they'll they'll mention they, they're all improv actors, more or less. And so they'll mention something or they'll bring up something that's a funny concept, and they'll be like, all right. So now I want you to play this, you to play this, and go, you know, and then they'll just improv right there on the spot. Um, and so sometimes it's really funny, and other times it's not. Um, it They're not bad improv actors, it's just like some of these scenes are ridiculous. Um, and their comedy or their style of humor is um, a little egregious at times. Like, I, I don't find everything that they do that to be super funny. Um, they can be kind of fall on that immature sophomoric um line but uh some of the stuff that they do is is, is pretty good and I, again i like the riddles um the, when you when you get a riddle faster than they do you you feel really smart you're like it's very satisfying to be like you have a riddle podcast and you didn't get that one idiot and so they're not right. like some grand riddlers but they're they're pretty good and uh and sometimes they'll they'll get them right away before you even have a chance to think about it but a lot of times they'll they know each other really well. They have a great chemistry. The three of them they're constantly joking with each other. It's it's really nice. I love podcasts with females in them. Um, it, like a female male ratio is really nice. Uh, I could have done two females, two males. Like I feel like that would be really even. Um, but just to have that female voice and that like voice of reason and understanding and like perspective to ground things is is always super nice in podcasts. That's way overlooked by a lot of the podcasts I listen to are male only. Um, kind of yeah. like this one. Could could have had a could have had a girl here, dude. Yeah, we could have a we'll we'll invite a f- uh, female someday. Mm, yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no, that sounds cool. Um, I don't know why it sparked the memory, but what's like the PBS show Crash Box? Never saw it. No, there's it's basically like a claymation like little kid show teaching numbers and language and stuff like that. But there's this one um, specific segment of it where it's like a snake and it like you know like a like a snake charmer type snake and it comes out the basket and like gives you a riddle Hmm. and like those those were always like probably the highs of the show is like 
trying to solve that riddle before like it gives you the answer you know what right I mean? and that's that's the thing about the, they're not just always straightforward riddles they'll give you like a a, a grand scope like the answers are going to be rhyming like so it's like oh, the answer cool. to a certain one is yeah. going to be a drunk skunk they're going to be rhyming and they include animals or the answers are going to be uh, an anagram in the in the question so like the riddle has an anagram you got to find it and then you got to decode it. And so they're whoever's giving the riddles, it's usually pretty helpful. They'll give hints or they'll be like, wait, is this the anagram? And they'll be like, yes, that's the anagram. You know, cause sometimes it's obvious or whatever, but, uh, it, it's, it's good. I, I think you'd like it. Um, I'm again, I, they're like a hundred and something episodes in. And so I just listened to some of their live stuff first. So I, I went to January, started listening to some of those episodes for the first stuff. And I've listened to like five or six of them and I've liked them. Some, some hit, some miss. Um, They've got some funny things. They have a character. One of the guys plays a guy named Puzzbot, P-U-Z-Z-B-O-T. Nice. And uh, he's like a robot who gives out um, riddles. And and they they play along. You know, they're improv actors, so they play along with it. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a seventy-five. Like it's it's good. It's it's definitely easy listen. Yeah, easy listen. Like um, if if they don't do, it's not just straight riddles the entire time. Like I said, so you you have times where you turn your brain on, try to figure out the riddle. And then turn your brain off and just listen to some improv and some friends just chat. So I, I think you would, if I find the right episode to give to you, yeah, I, dude, I think you'll like way. it. Yeah. What about you with pods, bro? What's your podcasting experience? Um, new, hot, fresh off the presses pod just uploaded to YouTube um, this month. Um, the Break Check podcast, mm-hmm. which I don't know how well your knowledge of is All Gas No Breaks, that YouTube channel. Right. And it's basically a traveling uh, reporter straight man going to various public events and interviewing the likes of those attendees of such public events. Right. And when he says straight man, he means someone who goes straight faced. Straight faced. His sexuality is not important in this case. Yes. More important that he does not laugh in people's faces when they are dressed up like animals at the furry convention. Exactly. He's very straight faced asking them, trying to ask them sincerely for a video for other people. Yeah, so like you said, anime or furry convention, uh, Burning Man, um, Donald Jr.'s book signing. He's been to these public events and uh, interviewing people that have attended, basically. And basically, how the show goes is, you know, he makes he edits around to making a funny video around these people, but specifically talking about his podcast. Um, I feel like somewhat he's more of the same straight man character, not there to like laugh or listen to these crazy stories, but more of to get information out from the guest. And on the first episode on the guest is actually one of my like favorite graffiti artists. Oh, you knew him? Yeah. I knew Neckface for a while just from skate culture, I guess. And I've, I've seen him featured in like a bunch of skate videos and a bunch of um, he did a lot of artwork for he's done artwork a lot for Thrasher magazine, Thrasher magazine and a lot of their clothes. So like I knew of this artist like previously. So for when I saw like it pop up in my feed, like all gas, no breaks, funny interview guy and uh, neck face, nasty neck face is his graffiti name. Um, I don't know. I don't know his real name. Go goes by neck, I guess. But yeah, it ends up being like the, a really like genuine interview on someone that I like actually enjoyed the media from. So him being like in this skate culture, having like crazy wild stories about like him, like in 
South America or something like that and like flying down a hill and the brakes went out in the, the skate van and like near death experience. And then you just have like, uh, Andrew, the all grass, no brake guy. Like, yeah, dude, that was freaking gnarly. Like it's kind of just an interesting interview. Um, I think later they have bland Ethan from H3 on there. So like already getting like a diverse cast of, uh, you know, guests, but also like, still having that rawness of him recording in the back of the RV that he uses to travel around the United States to interview all these weird people. No, for sure. All Gas No Breaks is one of the best YouTube channels in the past two years. Like, yeah, period. Just, just the pop-up. Yeah. So definitely not as funny content, but if you find a guest on there like I did, like Nasty Neckface, the first freaking guest on there, just like an amazing artist to me, um, super interesting podcast. And I do prefer that structure of like two people having a conversation and telling each other stories is really cool i think overall i'll probably rate it like an 80 out of 100 um for me it's a good podcast but i do think it's probably going to be better consumed if you if if a guest ever pops up on there that you personally like right on all right so going on to music now um we're gonna do something a little bit different this uh episode and we'll see get some feedback on it uh, we're each going to introduce our, our music one at a time, of course, and then um, play, uh, pause the podcast, play it for each other. And then while we're playing for each other, you're going to hear like 30 seconds of the, the song that we listen to. And then we'll uh, discuss it afterwards. That way we can have a little bit more informed. And because it is a podcast, you know, this audio medium could be easier. Yeah. But- and just like more... So you can make a better exactly comprehensive because you can only guess. describe music so much in so many different ways, but hearing it, I think, actually will uh, help you make an informed decision if you want to listen to the rest of that album. Or exactly. Not. Um, so for this month, I wanted to talk about a band known as the Elevators, not spelled like the machine, but uh, spelled like Elevate. I, you, like looks like Elevators. Elevators. It does look like the Elevators. Um, their album is called The Cornerstone. This is their first album. came out in 2017. They are a band that I would akin their music to uh, 311. Um, so if you've ever heard Amber, like the, the song that's like, Amber is a color of your energy. Right. And so it's very like, um, it's very reggaeton vibe inspired. Um, a little bit of like um, ska-ish. Um, they're... In between, I'd say Sublime and 311. Um, and the reason why I find them and their music so special is because their raw instruments are so smart, so good. And so, yeah, on the album, you're going to hear some stuff um, that is very um, generic. And there's a song where it's like, uh, it's called Stop Arresting Johnny. And uh, the main chorus is, Stop Arresting Johnny. And it's like, we don't know who Johnny is. Johnny could be anyone, I guess, and it's sure it, it just it's just kind of goofy. There's some some goofy stuff in there, but on the songs that are like core to what they are, um, are are just so powerful, well performed. Yes, you're gonna have a lot of repeating chorus and lyrics and noises because that's kind of the genre. But when you listen to the bass slapping in the background or the electric guitar, you know, going off, it just sounds so good together. That's it's a mood, it's a vibe as you're listening to it. It's a vibe. Yeah, I think you'll really like it. So we're going to pause right now. I'm going to play 30 seconds of uh, their first track, and we will uh, be right back. 
was 30 seconds of Don't Wanna Love You by The Elevators. What'd you think of it, D-Rat? Um, I could already tell it's something I would definitely like and definitely vibe to. It's definitely, 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 definitely like <laughs> beach vibes. Triple down. Yeah, dude. Beach vibes, lake vibes, definitely end of the day, sunset, cracking a brewski, like winding down, super chill music. So weird to hear like how... Like you said, how well interest in instrumentally they are, but not like I, I don't know how I don't know them. Right. Like super talented in every instrument, honestly. Like the guitar, the bass, the drums, the trumpets after, like just crazy talented. And then great vocals too. Um I can't can't understand why I haven't heard that yet. Yeah, I actually found them through a Spotify um like radio. Like I was listening to it was like a daily mix. It was like, right. oh, because you listen to uh, Sublime, here's a little daily mix of similar bands and stuff. And so I listened to one song that I was like, ah, this is okay. And it wasn't on this album. And then I was like, oh, I like the album cover. It's like a shark with a skeleton inside of it. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I'll, I'll give this a shot. And I was like, oh, this is the opening track. Don't Want to Love You is the first track. And I'm like, oh, what a good like set of mood. And it's, and it's really good considering the rest of the album. Each song does something different. And so... One song kind of sounds like it should be played at the start of like a mariachi band type of like vibe. One song is like super acoustic and instrumental. That uh, Stop Arresting Johnny song that I mentioned earlier sounds like it should play after you uh, pick your homie up from, from jail. Like right. each one has a different vibe, uh, but it all keeps that kind of undertone of like great instrumental, like really smart drums. And just it is, it's a vibe. It's yeah, just something it's definitely you, like Long Beach Taco Shop. Like. Right. You just chill out. And the album's really good. Like, there's only a couple parts. Obviously, it's, it's very repetitive. That's just kind of the nature of the genre. Once you kind of get over that, once you get over the, whoa, you know, ember right. is the color of my energy. Obviously, they say that a thousand times in that 311 song, but it's just the vibing of it. Right. That's what I was going to say is that you hear the genre, like, very specifically in the music, but the instruments take it way further than other people do in that same genre. Right. So I think that's what definitely gives it a higher score than anything else that is in the same category. Right. A few other of the songs use some trumpets and they just are, they're really creative with it. Um, I'm going to end up giving it an 87 out of 100. Great. Absolutely great album. Um, there's a couple of tracks on there that uh, really bring it down, unfortunately. that There's the certain choices that I made that are kind of annoying. Like for the most part, the repetitive nature, totally fine. It's a vibe. But sometimes some things kind of get a little bit of annoying. Um, one song is really like melancholy and slow. And so not all are going to be as good as this one, but for the most part, it's a great album, great instrumental, really smart writing. Um, and I really, if you like that little 30 second sample, go ahead and give it a listen on Spotify, listen to the rest of the album and you will find other stuff you like. And you might even find other music in that same genre. That's your vibe, but no, not in 88 because I feel like it's, um, there's just something small that disconnects, um, 
they're I'm, I'm sure they're like high the, the when they're writing it. The exact thing that makes things 88 is not there for that. Right. Yes. The exact thing that that makes it that 88 out of 100 is not not quite there. I feel more comfortable giving it 87. Like it, it's just it's missing something. Like I said, there's obviously some in the lyrics. There's some references to like weed and things that are just like yeah, fine. Don't connect to. Right. Yeah. Just don't connect to me. All right. What about you, bro? What are, what uh, do you want to introduce? Um. Honestly, now that we're taking little snippets, I do want to talk more about Solange when I get home. Okay. Because I, I have like another indie thing that I listen to all month, but this I think we can make more conversation if I show you some more things of her. But this is, it's Solange. When I Get Home is the name of the album. When I Get Home, okay. name of the album by Solange. Okay. And Solange is Beyonce Knowles' sister? Sister. Yeah, correct. All right, cool. So we'll, we'll pause and uh, play 30 seconds of it. Solange yes sir um, it was certainly interesting uh, it has a uh, kind of a piano riff that's very jazzy yeah and then the rest is is like simulated um, like a drum kit yeah you know what I mean and so it's 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 very inorganic sounding because of that and so it has, almost has like an interesting like 80s like R&B yeah, vibe like funk R&B right and especially when like the vocals it's like super angelic and high toned vocals and she's specifically just like harmonizing with that piano rift or the other simulated sounds in there. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not super familiar with her stuff. I know she has done some stuff with Tyler um, and some other uh, rap artists, but I, I honestly have not listened to much of her solo project type stuff, but no, it's super creative, um, really innovative, kind of pushing the boundaries of what R and B can be. It's just, it's, it's just a little weird of a piece uh, yeah. which is which is cool i would i would i would probably attest that this is her best album she has i think one other previous previous album or maybe two more which are um sort of in the same vein of like weird jazzy funk type of melodic tunes but this one i think is just executed the best with her talent of singing and also the instrumentals on here it's super like you brought a vibe, I'm gonna bring a, a just a different, more chiller vibe, maybe more driving music than it is like sit back or maybe cleaning your room or something like that. Just easy to listen to and jam with, rather than something you have to like force yourself to listen to and get every lyric of the time. Right, because she her she does some high pitched stuff that I did not hear the lyrics of it whatsoever. But obviously, she's kind of showing her instrument of her beautiful voice. Exactly. So I think overall I'd probably rate it probably around an 85 too. Nice. Something I I would recommend to other people that are into that genre of like uh, bending R&B and hip hop for what it is and trying to make something for a smaller audience rather than the bigger popular audience. But the other downfall is like you said, there's some, there's some parts of the lyrics that kind of just get washed out and you don't really understand what's going on. You're just kind of listening and along for the ride. And I think 
overall her album doesn't really have like a much of a purpose other than sounding really nice and doesn't really follow any kind of rule book honestly and it just is these are really good sounds and really good uh melodies and instruments and vocals that you know a big pack of them for you to listen to while you're busy with something else and it fits that part of r&b really really great right on man and thank you for showing with me yeah dude uh, so if you already didn't think this podcast was long enough, uh, we're going to end it with a new segment that we are going to be calling the Waste Cap, which is a recap of uh, how we wasted each other's times. So we just take something from the previous episode, one one little thing of media, and we talk about it because um, uh, we are constantly wrecking each other new stuff. Um, and my Waste Cap... Um, follow-up essentially is going to be what we learned eve's tumor eve's tumor eve's tumor um and his there is it a group is it one person i would call it a person wikipedia listed as an artist okay so that person um music is is very eccentric very weird we talked about that last time but i would akin it almost to the best parts of it being like Blood Orange, who's one of my favorite R&B um, writers in the game today. And so that's like the highest of high compliments I can give Eves. But um, some of the the lowest points of it is just kind of incomprehensible noise. Slamming and noise. And right. There's a song with a bunch of fireworks going off. And right. You're right. And so I, like, I feel like that's kind of the range of enjoyment. I, I like it when he has a lot of different pieces kind of going at once. And uh, just putting on kind of a symphony um, in the sound space, that stuff is really cool. Um, and it's certainly something that we we played a, a small little board game over the top of it. And that felt like kind of the right atmosphere for it. You know, something else going on on top of it. Like yeah. it's, it's not, I feel like if I were to isolate myself and listen to it, it would almost like I think either I, be depressing or something. I listened to that album was working out and it right. worked well there where I'm focusing on something else and this was just driving me. Right. No, I think that's a smart call. It's it's a it's it's weird and it's different, but as we've learned from Solange, that's kind of your your niche of the music my soundscape. Ballpark, yeah. yeah, you like the weird and different things and I appreciate you opening my ear jumps to new At stuff. At least you could find a song or two that are like interest you. Yeah, for sure. What about you? What are you on the waist cap? Um, waist cap wise, I read the nice little, cute little darling book, Beautiful Darkness, mm-hmm. that you gave me. Um, I, th- I, I honestly think I really enjoyed it. Like, I right when you gave it into me, I was I was interested and in, you know ran right through it within the next few days. I think so. Like, if we remember, it's like these little people living inside this child girl that ends up like dying in a field right and you know the tiny little like i guess nymph people Mm -hmm. basically venture out because that was their home and now it's uh decomposing essentially their home is decomposing they have to make their way into the wild and you know has a lot of interesting things like i love all the tiny innocent children games or you know just one or two pages before they're playing, you know, having, they're doing like this wedding or whatever. And then, right. you know, two pages later, there's like a full spread of like a decomposing body. Right. And I think it's, it's super interesting how the, the two things play and how it divulges and just goes darker and darker and darker. And there's no real um, light in the story 
or payoff in the story. No. It kind of just ends with uh, how it, how like it ends how it ends. Like right. you don't really know what's going to happen to these people, and you don't really know what's going to, you know, what even what hope they have for themselves to keep on living. Right. I like the ending though. I feel like it was kind of uh, everyone got what they deserved. Yeah. It was it was a payoff in a sense where you know the bad people are being punished for their you know ignorances or you know their personalities and defects and such like that and you're you know the character you follow around essentially gets the win over them but they're you know she still exists in this very dark world where everything is trying to kill her and affect her in a certain way yeah i'm glad you liked it what did you think about the uh, the bird feeding scene that that scarred me is it where they like the the two the smaller like twins they went to go uh get food and so they go into the bird nest oh right to, and they like act like a bird and then the, they act like they, a bird so they could get like bird feed right yeah that one that one got me and then also um when the bad girl like killed the deformed girl like that one for sure was like a big nail in the coffin like this story is not yeah there's, for, there's like, a lot of death going on there yeah but it's like how meaningful are these little things lives you know how, how much weight do you actually put exactly into this? yeah like how, how does it really matter when you know in the setting of the world like what does it really matter for sure all right well that's episode three of how to waste your time i feel like this may be our best yet maybe definitely shop this around yeah see how i sound now see how we sound right i feel like the first episode getting our footing second episode a little technical difficulties third episode i feel like we uh we're gonna we're gonna get this. This motion's gonna be going forward smoothly. Smooth sailing here on out. Yes. So if you enjoy it uh, and you feel like other people might enjoy it, find you share it with a friend. Maybe we can gonna grow our audience. Uh, we're just kind of doing this for fun, but we'd love to uh, expand it and grow it as much as we can and get better technology so that it's something that you might enjoy further. Yeah. And what's the um, Apple? Apple Podcast is where you can leave the review. Yeah, I, I haven't checked, but I, I imagine we have zero reviews. So if you want to be the first review, that would be sweet. Yeah, or even, you know, get a hold of us anywhere else and leave your critiques there. It really helps. Right. Yes. Like I said, any critiques, comments, anything like that, we'd love to hear that feedback so that we can improve. If you liked or didn't like the little music edition, let us know. All right. Thank you for listening, and hopefully you will waste your time better going forward. Bye-bye.